Hello, hello. Uh, fine place called Vertigo. Welcome to episode 29 of True Cult Pop. It's a pop music podcast, you know. So what are you going to do about that? Not a lot. It's me, Stephen Hill. I hope you're very good. Before we go any further, I'm going to tell you what's on the show this week before we get into the chit chat. We brave the elements of 72 seasons and look oh. at the new album from Metallica. Will we be seeing the sunny side up of the Mad Lib, DJ Muggs and Mayhem Lauren collab Champagne for Breakfast? You'll have to wait and find out as we review that. We'll be chatting about the Plague Boys from the Bleak Stuff as Goth Lads Grave Pleasures return. There's Hardcore Galore from the new St. Pierre Snake Invasion album. Real food at last for those of you who understand that the return of understand is actually quite a big deal. And we don't just let any old shite on this show, although we do let any on this show since the London-based rapper has collaborated with Loyal Kana and we'll be talking about her EP. Plus, it's the end of the yellow brick road for one of the all-time great artists ever. I was at the O2 to pay homage and to pay my respects to Mr. Elton John. I'll be reviewing that later. And I am joined, as ever, by a man who has recently discovered the joys of Stathlet's Flats. I'm delighted <laughs> to welcome uh, an old grey priest. It's Mr. Sam Slight. Oh my <laughs> How you doing, Sam? Oh my gilly goodness. What an intro. Thank you. Thank you. I like the uh, uh, boys from the Black Stuff reference in there. That's good. It makes me think of Yozza Hughes going, give us a job, mate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, not everyone will get that. And but well, you should. Right. If if you like bleak, sort of late seventies, early eighties British TV, then you should know mm. Boys from the Black stuff. It's harrowing. It is, but it's very good. Mm, it is very good. It is very good. Uh, I, I don't 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 mean to correct you, Steve, but I'm pretty sure this is episode thirty because last week was twenty nine. The Depeche Mode Ultra Ting that went out. Oh yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was such a. I was so. I was so ill. Yeah, and it was such a sort of non-event. Mm. My whole life was such a non-event for a couple of weeks that um, I guess I just didn't count it. So yeah, you're right. It is episode thirty. The big three episode thirty. The big both, both in our thirties. <laughs> yeah, well, we are. We are both in our thirties. Um, hey guys, do you want to go to patreon.com forward slash True Cult Pop and sign up for exclusive content? You can do that. I'm not going to tell you what is going on over there because. Um, there was meant to be stuff and there wasn't but you know if you're already on our patreon page you know about that you know about what's going on with that and if you you aren't then we should probably explain it to you because um sam it's been a i mean i've had a fucking proper proper ill i was a stephen hill yeah i went back to the gym for the last for, for the last time maybe for the last <laughs> time for the first time in fucking ages yesterday and i woke up this morning being like uh, I, I was ill so that's not been good but um, we need to discuss or let everybody know what's going to be happening with the show for like a little while. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Things are going to be a little bit different around these parts for a little bit. So basically, um, uh, the short version is I'm going to be stepping away a little bit for a bit. So you won't be subjected to me 10 odd times a month or whatever. Um, essentially, um, and we did discuss this on a little patron thing, so I'm not going to go over it too long because... Well, if you cared enough, you would have already heard it. So come exactly. on, get some money. Exactly. If you want to get the real gossip, then <laughs> <laughs> you'll you'll sign up with with your cold hard cash. Yeah. But um, anyway, yeah. Sorry, mate. Go on. Well, no, I was going to say. I mean, basically, the short version is. Um, so Steve historically has done this podcast with other people who um work as predominantly freelance. Um, work mm. in the in the loosest of senses. Um, very usually, very loose. Usually, quite a lot of free time. Unfortunately. Uh, my line of work being shift-based in pubs 
has made it quite difficult to sort of juggle this. And then on top of that, um, I've had uh, quite unfortunate development in family life where, well, basically my stepdad um, has had a really, I think, clinically fucking massive stroke. So it's kind of upended things a bit. So at the moment, basically just <laughs> kind of for my own well-being, a bit of selfishness, I um, think I need to step back for a little bit. It won't be forever. You know, this isn't one of those things where... Steve's weird co-host has gone mental again and fallen out with him. That's definitely not what's happened. We've talked about this a lot. I mean, we first were talking about this at the end of March and um, I wanted to ideally kind of have the phase out be a little less... Uh, abrupt? Yeah, abrupt is definitely the word. I was yeah. thinking blunt, but yeah, abrupt is definitely the word. Um, but unfortunately, it's just the way kind of circumstances has gone. But what a week to go out on, eh? We're going to talk about what are the great heavy albums of the year. Yeah. No, not Metallica. Uh, yeah, well, um, no. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, look, um, th- th- listen, yeah, like Sam says, you know, he and I haven't fallen out. Like, ultimately, this podcast, it's very nice of you who sign up for the the, the Patreon stuff that we do. And yeah. I don't really feel like I want to give you any less stuff, although, unfortunately, at the moment, because I'm on my lonesome, I might have to do that for a little bit. Mm. So uh, I'm still a bit like, oh, I don't really know if I should be taking your money or whatever. But <laughs> a lot of people have gone... Ah, just have it <laughs> just have it <laughs> which is, which is really generous. nice and yeah, I, yeah. I, I appreciate and, and we both appreciate that um, but look you know this is a hobby it's not mm. a full time job it's not a business I think as I said on the, the Patreon thing it's it's definitely go and uh, go and look on Company's House and see if you can find any of the podcasts yeah. that I've been on uh, <laughs> on there and you'll learn that they're not a business uh, and ergo are in no way legally binding in any way whatsoever so this is just a sort of hobby thing that we Mm. do and you know for me it's a bit more than that because i'm very very lucky in that my work situation means that i can basically kind of pick and choose to work the hours that i that i get and i get given kind of freelance um stuff um, yeah, yeah. to do for Metal Hammer or for Louder or whatever um, that means that I can kind of juggle my work life balance and doing this podcast around as much as I want. I probably could squeeze out an hour long podcast a day. Most of you listening will probably hear that and go, really? Bloody hell, that seems like quite a lot of work. And it's like, well, it's only a lot of work when you know, when I was working in a in an office five days a week mm. from eight thirty till five thirty, you know, coming home once a week and doing a podcast was and having and doing loads of stuff a hammer, it, it did get pretty busy. So yeah. I appreciate that I am asking you to do quite a lot. And a few years ago, prior to the pandemic, when there was less content being put out, you know, it probably wouldn't have been as intense. And, you know, my sort of thing is do I um demand you do all that stuff? <laughs> and then you go fucking hell mate i can't handle it because i've got a full-time job and i know all too well how intense it is it's more important your family's more important mm. you're being able to pay the bills and the rent and you being able to have time to fucking relax and not have to listen to a 77 minute long <laughs> album from a bunch of album. 60 year olds yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah is is more important um, I'm sorry to say it guys to you listening but it's more important than you having like an, a two hours of us rambling uh, a week so Sam is gonna be in and out for a little bit which is a shame you know for me yeah. it's, a, it's a shame but I understand I think it's actually more healthy to be the way that you are and go this is not the be all and end all of my life than to be someone who sits and does nothing else with their life but yeah. will tell you how hard they work <laughs> this is it i mean i you know 
I, I'm with you. Like, I'm not massively happy about the situation, but unfortunately, it's just it's kind of got to be the way that it's going to be for a little bit. And you know, I will be popping up every now and then. I mean, I was talking to a mate earlier, sort of saying like, "Oh, this is going to be sort of my last weekly." Definitely doing it week to week for a little bit, but like, I know that I'm going to demand that I come on uh, for the week after we go and see Depeche Mode at Twickenham. So like, I'm not going. Yep. You can't get rid of me that easily, but yeah, just got to pair it back for a little bit. So, yeah. cheers. And luckily for most of you listening, I know that you all prefer me anyway. So I, mean, I, I prefer good. you, to be fair. So <laughs> that's quite good. Uh, oh, that isn't true of some of you, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, and, and fuck you to anyone who doesn't prefer me. Yeah, I want you hear that, Andy. You hear that. Uh, yeah, you bastard. Um, <laughs> no, look, it, it, but on a serious point, you know, I like, so there's plenty of people who who i really love who will mm. have plenty of time um or we'll be able to give up a bit of time so that we can keep on doing a podcast obviously i'm going to still do it sam will come on when sam can come on hopefully when um you know things get a bit easier you'll be able to a bit more free time might yeah, free up yeah, and yeah, we can yeah. get it more more often than not i would like to think but i don't know when that's going to be but people like merlin from uh the old Metal Hammer podcast. He's going to come on. Andy Ken, some therapy. I mean, I know I've out-therapied you quite a lot recently, <laughs> but Andy Ken, some therapy, is going to be on the show next week, um, doing the full show with me. I think, like, Kid Bookie, I think, is going to come on as well at some point. As, cool. Um, Gil, right. Gil, who used to be on the old Metal Hammer podcast back in the day. Gil's mm. going to come back on as well. Um, I know... Uh, Dave from Pop Collaborate and Listen has been like, yeah, you know, I'll come on and do some shit with you. I think Rich from Metal Hammer, who hasn't oh, done much cool. podcasting, yeah, but yeah. I think Rich is going to come on as well. Rich is great. Um, Gaz Jones will come on, I'm sure, when oh, we get that's a shame. anything. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> when we get, uh, you know, well, there's a new there's a new therapy album, and Gaz has already talked about is. therapy. So when we review that, I'm sure Gaz will want to come on and talk about that, and, and I'm sure that he will do as well. So you know, like, there's a bunch of people who I think are really, really good. If you've got anyone that you want to see on the show or you want to suggest that should be on the show you know make, be somebody suggested on our pages it's someone suggested Bungle from Rainbow <laughs> who is A a fictional character and B a right prick yeah quite hard to pin down as well I find he's a right prick yeah. and I don't want Bungle from George or Zippy yeah, yeah. oh time. Zippy definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zippy I'd have on uh, I'd have George on as well I reckon but I'm not having Bungle on not a chance forget it he's Wanker. not welcome here yeah. he's an idiot he's a stupid idiot big naked idiot have i not had enough inept clumsy fat morons hairy fat morons on the show i think i have so you know um i'm not having another one although bungle is probably i imagine not a smelly probably not one I've before. did i ever send uh, anyway. you um, oh but before that while we're still talking about bungle did i ever send you that picture of the 90s reboot of rainbow you did Fucking... and i can't find that in the real world anywhere i feel like you've made that yourself out of like felt and piss <laughs> i definitely haven't i couldn't make something <laughs> that terrifying it's nightmarish it looks it like nightmarish. that bit in the shining where the bloke it in the bear does. costume turns to the camera it does look yeah. like that bit in the shining it's horrible yeah it is and so. it automatically <laughs> saved to my camera reel in my phone when you sent me that as well <laughs> the joys of whatsapp oh dear fucking awful yeah but i do not remember that and you can't find it any you can't there's no evidence of it other than that picture what, what, what really weird i'll find it really weird oh i'll find it boy <laughs> anyway um let's play you out before we get into the reviews and stuff play us out we a song in our head that we get stuck in our head every week sam um we can't start with mine. I don't think we can. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to start with yours. What have you picked 
uh, this week to talk about. One of those many songs that I think has been stuck in my head for the best part of, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think when I first heard it, maybe six, seven years ago. It's probably been in there since then, oh, rattling wow. around. Um, a band I don't know super well, to be honest. I've not really delved too deep into the back catalogue of Misfits, but the song Scream mm. from Famous Monsters has been one that has, yeah, basically been on kind of repeat in the background of my drug-addled brain at all times. Um, it's an absolute fucking banger, isn't it? It's just a straight-up mm. goth punk track that you would want from a band like Misfits. It is that kind of a horror punk archetype. I think it helps that I first heard it in conjunction with the George A. Romero-directed music video, which is pretty schlocky, but it does the job for the kind of aesthetic they would go for as Misfits. Um it's there's no kind of bells and whistles to it i think it's just a really straightforward um simple idea that just executed brilliantly i love the way that the lyrics kind of fold back in on each other and michael graves will take those same lines and give them different melodic hooks i mean particularly the you know it's driving me insane and i try to fight drag from the silence where you hide bringing that back in on itself kind of delivering it um in different syncopations it's just fucking great and it's a song that i put on a hell of a lot at work because there's another song on our playlist called Poison Prince by Amy McDonald and it's got the same cadence to it. So anytime that comes on, I'm like, right now I've got a queue up Misfits to go on straight after because I fucking love Amy Scream. McDonald? Yeah, yeah. Not and an artist that I... Yeah, hey, closer than you might think. I think um, she'd make a good stand-in for Jerry only. Ooh, can't imagine that. No. But anyway, no. yeah, Misfits are not a band I've delved too deep on. I mean... I mean, funnily enough, kind of discovered them through Metallica through their cover of Last Caress uh, on Garage Inc. But yeah, not gone super deep on them. Famous Monsters is probably the album I go to the most, even though I do, broadly speaking, prefer the sound and the feel of the Danzig era. But yeah, I feel like they're the ones to go a bit deeper on. Scream's just a fucking banger though, isn't it, Steve? You like Misfits, don't you? I love the Misfits. I mean, I was never that... It probably was actually the first Misfits song. Not the first Misfits song I heard, but the first song I heard... The Misfits doing, I reckon, because this was on a 1999 Drilling the Vein VHS video. Do you, oh, you don't remember? Drilling no, the definitely Vein, do you? don't. No. So Drilling the Vein was a Roadrunner Records compilation video sampler that if you bought oh, like, cool. you used to do two Roadrunner Records albums for 22 quid and you'd Bloody get a free video yeah. or you could buy the video for like 4.99 in Virgin Megastore back in the day, right? And the first Drilling the Vein was wicked. It had like, you know, obviously Machine Head and Sepultura and Type of Negative and Fear Factory and Shelter and Dog Eat Dog and Biohazard and Obituary and loads of great stuff on it. It was really good. And then the second one came along and it was basically the same band, but then a few others tacked on at the end as mm. well. So I think like Keith, now obviously Mina Caputo um, uh, was on that video and um so the song selfish which i think i've actually brought in before you have and yes. um i think imprint by vision disorder was on oh, it as well. so out. it was really yeah it was really good and it was like the sort of uh, another load of sepulture and typo videos and stuff like that but it had screen by the misfits on and obviously you know those of you who can remember it was almost impossible to be able to buy actual misfits albums back in the day right um because, you know, they were, I don't even think they got properly released here in the UK, like ever. But mm. certainly like Finding a Misfits CD until it was all re-released in, I think it's kind of the early first few years of the 2000s. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting Static Age and like an Earth AD kind of in the early part of the 2000s. And people talk, oh, they're classics, they're classics, they're classics. But you couldn't really hear them. So apart from, you know, Green Hell, Last Caress. Mm. 
Metallica doing it, I'd never actually heard the Misfits doing the Misfits. And so when I heard this, I was like, oh, this is not really what I expected them to sound like at all. It is that kind of B-movie rock and roll yeah, thing. Yeah. And I think Michael Graves is actually a pretty good... I think the Michael Graves stuff, and I think that album in particular, you know, the Famous Monsters album, it's a it's a pretty good it's a pretty good record. Yeah, you know, like it's a it's a pretty good record, and it's a pretty good version of the Misfits. And like you say, I think it's almost certainly like the best um, thing they did that doesn't involve Glenn Danzig. Oh, easily. Um, yeah, yeah. And the video is excellent like you say the video is awesome with all the kind of you know the zombies attacking the hospital and stuff really really good um yeah i like this a lot it's funny because being it being like the sort of first misfit song that i probably knew you would think that would be quite a kind of memorable thing for me but weirdly i remember just sort of seeing it and being like oh, okay so that's what the misfits sound like and oh, then not really paying much attention to them until I, I got static age and i was like oh my god like i love like, i love static age i think static mm. age is fucking absolutely incredible i love 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 it it's great um but yeah but i do like this i do think it's good i just i find it quite hard to not want to listen to the danzig stuff that's totally when i put fair, this on yeah. i did go oh yeah yeah good yeah. yeah i mean to be fair when i was listening to this you know making notes and just like oh you know a bit of kind of ancillary information and like oh is there anything particularly interesting to say other than i think it's good i mean not really i mean it goes into the kind of next few tracks it's like oh it does it does drop off a little bit famous monsters i think from this song this is definitely the high point for me um even though i saw that they uh themselves had quite major reservations about it being released as a single i'm pretty sure uh michael graves has come out and said i don't think it should have been the the lead song from the album but i don't really hear anything else on famous monsters that makes sense as a lead single to me but i don't think uh, from what recent revelations about michael graves i think whatever he says you should probably go ah the opposite do the other I thing yeah the opposite <laughs> yeah uh he sure a is a proud a, boy bit, a bit of a dickhead isn't he mm. and um apparently as well uh the early version of the song had a peter murphy influence peter murphy from bauhaus mm. apparently mm. fair play you can hear it a little bit I you mean, can still find them just yeah, just goth stuff in it. Just goth stuff. We'll be talking about uh, a lot more yeah. goth stuff in a bit, but yeah, I mean, time, there's definitely a little time. bit of that in here. Yeah, yeah, it's good. This, yeah, you know, like it, I've had it for a long time. I like it. It's good. Um, so there you go. Scream by the Misfits. Good, good pick, Sam. Thanks, now, mate. Listen, this is what has been stuck in our head. Um, I'm leaving you since you're going away for a bit. I thought I'll leave <laughs> you for something really, really that you wouldn't like um and i've picked wise men by james blunt the second single from the album back to bedlam the, the one before you're beautiful if you can imagine such a thing Mental. this was considered a bigger hit, bigger hit uh originally released on 7th of march 2005 didn't actually chart in the uk top 40 when it first released only got to number 44 then reissued on the 13th of march 2006 Happy birthday to me. That's my 26th birthday. <laughs> I think that's the second was, song yeah. we've we've picked that's been on one of my birthdays. I think Cold Cut featuring Lisa Stansfield. Yes, it was. People, on like I think that was released on my birthday. 11th or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this time it got to number 23 and was a number one hit in Belgium. Wait. But that single sold 400,000 copies in the UK. Bloody hell. Um, now, of course, this isn't the big song. No. From Back, from back to Bedlam by James Blunt. Back to Bedlam by James Blunt has actually sold 
338 million copies in the UK. Oh, that my is a, eleven times platinum, and Fucking it was hell. the biggest selling album of the 2000s in the UK. What? Yeah. Fucking hell! I didn't know that. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, and it's all really, you know, you're beautiful. Mm. Um, which sold 1.2, as a single, sold 1.2 million copies, two times platinum here in the UK, four times platinum in the US, four million copies, four million singles, You're Beautiful sold. Um, now, You're Beautiful, I think is is rubbish. Yeah, right? I, I think it's quite rightly, uh, quite widely derided as a song. I think it is naff. Um yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is a shame that James Blunt became the whipping boy of, well, just <laughs> culture, I suppose, for a little bit because of that song. Because <laughs> whenever you'd see him in interviews and stuff like that, like, I remember him doing um, Top Gear, the star of Reasonably Priced Car, not long after the album coming out. He seemed like a really nice bloke and like he just seems like quite oh. a normal fella, but yeah. Do you, do you know, um, Back to Bedlam is the 18th best-selling album in the history of the United Kingdom's charts, of music charts? I, I, no, I didn't know that. It's mad, isn't it? Bloody hell. It's absolutely mad. Now, and, and the thing is, is at the time, right, everybody hated James Blunt. Mm. Everybody hated James Blunt. He was like, I mean, I was actually speaking to my girlfriend about this. I was going, oh, I'm going to do a James Blunt song. She was going, no, don't do that. You'll embarrass yourself. Right? So <laughs> I don't think you should do that. You will embarrass yourself, right? And the thing is, is that as much as, you know, three million people in the UK is quite a lot, mm. no one admitted to it. It's that kind of Coldplay thing. No one admitted to it. And was he the kind of original Ed Sheeran? I'm not really sure because like, you know, there were lots of boring acoustic people mm. like David Gray only a few years before, probably it didn't sell as many copies, but you know, but James Blunt and Back to Bedlam was so massive and yet no one would ever admit that they, they thought it was good. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, they, they must have done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it sold that fucking many copies, yeah, people definitely interested enough to buy it. Um, obviously, that's how sales figures work. But yeah, mm -hmm. he, he does come from that time of the really grating, overly earnest acoustic pop stuff that I guess, like you say, has kind of really come back around that Ed Sheeran's one of the biggest stars on the planet ever. Yeah. Um, but uh, think yeah, I mean, for the record, I, I think James Blunt's music is much more enjoyable than Ed Sheeran's. Well, everyone hated him. Yeah. And then he went away, mm. right? with all his money. And then he sort of became funny on Twitter, didn't he? Yeah. Like about 10 years ago, he was really funny on Twitter. <laughs> and everyone started going, oh, I like James Blunt. Like you were saying, like, oh, he comes across really well. He's really funny. I follow right. him on Twitter. Yeah. I, I follow him on Twitter. He's really funny. And when he deals with people who are like, your music's fucking shit. Blah, 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 blah. And the thing about artists is massive for someone like James Blunt is that when you're in it and it's massive and it's there all the time, you really want to hate them. And it's mm. easy to hate because they're there in your face. Like, oh God, you're getting on the fucking all of them. But I feel like all of them have one song that is quite catchy and deep down you actually quite like. And mm. this for me is the James Blunt song, which I actually quite like. Don't ask me how or why, <laughs> um, but it was on, it was on Gavin and Stacey the other week. I was ill. I've been in bed. I put Dave on just in, while I was in bed sleeping and Gavin and Stacey was on, and I just like basically had the whole of Gavin and Stacey on in the background. Oh, and I mean God. that That's is worse not than age... pneumonia. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> not age well. It's not age well. It's not age well at all. Um, but it was there, and there's a bit where uh, Rob Brydon's character, Uncle Bryn, started singing this song, mm. and I just went, "That's actually quite a good chorus, isn't it?" And I decided to listen to this song, and 
it just sort of I found the chorus to be something of an earworm and mm. it just burrowed its way into my head and I can only be honest with you um, I mean I pref- I'm going to say it now I prefer this to anything on the new Metallica album that I'm about to review <laughs> wow okay <laughs> I mean I wouldn't go that far but um, I did I put this on as like Oh, this song, fucking hell, I've not heard this for years. Because obviously, when people talk about yeah. James Blunt, it's your beautiful. I was like, oh, yeah, God, this has been a while. And I was listening to it, I was like, mm, yeah, just that kind of, yeah, over and it's quite dreary shit. And then you're right, it gets to the chorus, it's like, oh, that that is a really good chorus. Like, not I think, of men. <laughs> it's not me, it's not me. Lost me, watch me, don't see me, but it's Like, that's catchy, right? Uh, Gotta really. ask yourself the question, where are you now? Like, that is quite a catchy. Um, I feel like you're undermining our upstairs. point about it being quite good. <laughs> 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 but no, I think, it, you know, it is a good chorus. And uh, I do think that James Blunt's performance <laughs> on it, both vocally and musically, is actually pretty impressive. I mean, funny that you should mention the Metallica album, because the solo that he gives on this, I think, has more of a melodic kind of arc and refrain to it and the sort of resolution to it than anything that Kirk Hammett's done for about 15 years. And it, mm. it sits on the right side of... Um, it actually adds something to the song. I think it gives it a little lift. And it's got musical dexterity to it, but it's not showy. I, I do think this song is pretty good, actually. Unfortunately, a bit like the Misfits one, it then went into the next track. I was like, oh, yeah, I do dislike a lot of this. But no, I think Wise Man, or Wise Men, I think it's pretty good. Lyrically, fucking messy. Like, the metaphors are all over yeah. the place. But, you know, whatever. It just, it's pop, just a nice pop to song. Be yeah. Anything, does it? yeah, it's quite good. Like, I think it's all right. Yeah. I, wouldn't, I mean, there's nothing else James Blunt has ever done that I would ever consider thinking was quite good. And it's not really better than anything <laughs> on my new Metallica album, but it's better than some things on it. It is. And yeah. it, and it actually is. Um, but it's all right. Do you know what I mean? It's all right. I mean, I think it's, it's all right to, it's, you know, you don't sell millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of records. And it's got, I always think to myself when they, they there's got to be some kernel of something mm. from these people somewhere. And it's really easy to go, yeah, but those the general public are idiots and blah 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 blah, blah and they just do anything. Like, that's a cop out. That's yeah. the easy way out. You're taking the easy way out by saying that. Like any cunt can say that. Oh, I'm better than everyone else. No, you're not. No, you're fucking not. I bet you <laughs> like some. I bet you watch a Fast and Furious movie. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're gonna say that, then you better have, you better be whiter than white with the shit you like. You better be listening to nothing but like avant-garde freeform jazz yeah. and watching like Jim Jarmusch fucking, films g- <laughs> yeah like German expressionist yeah. theatre and nothing else right if you want to be like I'm so artsy like no you know you're not you're not, you're not above James Blunt you're not you're not above you're not you're gonna fucking go oh do fucking mainstream shit and then put on No Doubt or Slayer yeah. do you know what I mean like no you're not like those bands and mainstream like th- this is this is just a different kind of person that has been um aimed at and so i'm always like there's got to be something it's got to be something and i think i found it like i don't want to listen to back to bedlam no, for fuck's no, sake. no not no, a no. chance um in fact i mean there's so many bloody so many bloody um what's it called uh singles from this there's nine singles on this i don't remember any of them Men. so high was the first one and then wise men came out and then your beautiful came out and then it kicked off mm. and so they released high again i don't remember that song oh i do remember and then it was 
Goodbye, my lover. Oh, God, that, that Goodbye, one's my friend. pretty fucking... I've been a while. Yeah. No, I don't like that. That's pretty... Um, and pretty then he re-released that. Wise Men. And then he released a song called No Bravery. Now, I don't remember any of these songs. I'm looking at the track listing. Hi, your beautiful wise men. Goodbye, my lover. Tears and rain. Out of my mind. So long, Jimmy. Billy. Cry. No bravery. I mean, he... he so those long, all Jimmy, separate tracks? Billy. Cry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so out long, of my Jimmy. Mind. Billy. Cry. <laughs> so long, Jimmy. Billy. Cry. <laughs> it's not one song. Right. I mean, okay. Maybe it should be. And No Bravery, which is... Um, the epic the finale. Track. Yeah. 39 minutes. What, that song? No, the album in its entirety. Uh, oh, well, that's good. Still Some shorter point. than the Bell Witch album, isn't it? <laughs> or song a third of the Bell Witch album, yeah. Yeah, fuck me. Um, yeah, I mean... I don't know half those songs, to be honest. Which is mad considering it's not the biggest selling album of the thing. I, I've never heard it. But out of the three that I know, I, I, I would probably only take one. That'd be this one. And it's this one. So anyway, there you go. Quite a good pop good, song. Good to talk about James Blunt. Definitely. Isn't it? I think it's been a long time coming, Steve. It's been a long bloody time coming. <laughs> um, speaking of a long time coming, I went to see Elton John on Sunday. Lovely. Just gone Lovely. at the O2. I've had those tickets since the middle of 2019. Wow, blimey. Yeah, really gilly. <laughs> um, and i tell you what, it was amazing. Mm. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, if you are one of those people who watched Elton John's lockdown thing during the pandemic and him going, I'm Dil Dan, like when he was doing I'm Still Standing, mm. I can't sing, he's rubbish. He, he took a couple of songs to sort of warm up vocally, I would say, to get really get on it. Sure. But he can still fucking, he can still fucking sing. The stage show itself was spectacular mm. really great not really much in the way of like you know there was no dancers there was no pyro there's nothing like that but it just looked really cool and the screens were showing really really cool things like all highlights from his career over many many years um his band are fucking phenomenal it like again the best musicians are the ones who play in pop. if you can play with a massive pop artist a mm. massive mainstream artist you're a better musician. That guy playing fucking double bass drums at the Underworld in a death metal band and you're saying he's a great drummer, he he couldn't play drums for Elton John. He's yeah. not as good a drummer as the guy playing drums for Elton John. He's just not. And um, they, are the, they are the best musicians. They are the absolutely the best musicians. His band was so tight, was so fucking brilliant. Like, really, really amazing. And, like, I put a little Instagram thing. I, mean, I said, like, I don't remember... I think we sort of said it about Depeche Mode once, like, but I don't remember a world... Well, I've never been in a world where Elton John mm. hasn't been releasing music. I don't remember a time where I didn't know Elton John's music. As I said about the specials as well. Like, It's just Elton John's always been somebody who's been releasing music or has always been a huge artist in my entire life. Like, mm. you know, my mum used to play Good Blade, Yellow Brick Road a lot which is a fucking absolutely amazing album. And, you know, he's got, you know, he's got a lot of really, really great albums. I think a lot of those 70s, he's got some great hits, but particularly when you go back to those 70s albums, you know, the self-titled album, um, you know, Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player, Madman Across the Water, Captain Fantastic. Like, those are, those are, those are brilliant, brilliant albums. Tumbleweed Connection as well is fucking great. Like, all those kind of 70s Elton John albums are fucking spectacular. And this is, a greatest hit set 
which is just it felt like a fucking honor like a real kind of genuine honor to see somebody who has written some of the most sort of integral important iconic songs in Mm. the history of popular culture by anyone right yeah. by fucking literally anyone i mean elton john i think is comparable in terms of size and longevity i'm trying to think of someone who actually has got the kind of longevity you know like he's just had two number ones recently with dua lipa and ed sheeran in the last mm. year year and a half right so he's appealing to a younger audience and he's also the sort of person that like your nan would go and see because they yeah. would remember elton john from like early on and he's not you know like my nan wouldn't have liked like the rolling stones but she probably would have liked a bunch of Elton John songs, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's just just right. He can write rock and roll songs. He can write great pop songs, and he can write kind of very very emotionally stirring, mm. you know, piano ballads, like beautiful songs as well, you know. So, Benny and the Jets, Philadelphia Freedom. I guess that's why they call it the Blues. Oh. Border song, mm. dedicated to Aretha Franklin, with an amazing story about Aretha Franklin um, playing that song for the Elton John's Aid Foundation just before. She passed away in uh, 2018, I want to say. Um, Tiny Dancer. I mean, mate, I lost my shit to Tiny Dancer. I can believe it. I lo- lost my f- use of my faculties. Like, fucking <laughs> incredible. And then um, Have Mercy on a Criminal. Rocket Man. Oh. Which is, again, amazing. And then they did this, they did this kind of almost like Pink Floydian jam session towards the end of rocket man which was just amazing you see how great elton john still is on the piano mm. fucking brilliant and then there's a little sort of patch here before you go into like the big 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 iconic singles where i think someone you, you might look at it and go oh that's maybe like the piss break or whatever but like take me to the pilot which is fucking amazing song really really amazing if not one of his bigger ones but really amazing someone mm. saved my life tonight brilliant levon yeah sure candle in the wind like candle in the wind obviously the princess diana candle in the wind is not it's a bit eggy it's not good but i think mm. the original candle in the wind the the version written for marilyn monroe it's just a great song um funeral for a friend love lies bleeding burn down the mission like again three songs that probably don't really get talked about in his grander back catalogue of all but they were amazing i mean funeral for a friend is such a an incredible instrumental song you know like that's great instrumental music like okay just pure fucking very very emotional Mm. 12 bar piano taken to all kinds of places like really really great burn down the mission is a banger fucking great as well like really really good again not as big one but then then <clears throat> we get to the final run so there's 10 songs of set list left right sad songs don't let the sun go down on me sorry seems to be the hardest word the bitch is back i'm still standing crocodile rock Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting, Cold Heart, the Dua Lipa one. Pfft, didn't really mm. like that. I mean, he did that at High Park when I saw him last year. Mm. Been that off. Not great. Um, your song, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Oh, mate. I mean, as, I mean, as a finale. Absolutely, like, oh, yeah. Ten song run, like... Well, uh, yeah, ten song run like that. I mean, there, w- there was definitely a bit in the set list there where there are songs I am not familiar with. I mean, I've not heard Funeral for a Friend, for example. I mean, apart from the post-hardcore band. Um, or whatever, whatever you want to call yeah. them. But uh, yeah, uh, that run at the end is pretty undeniable. I mean, I am, 
I am wondering, and this may be an unfair question because I guess it is, wow, it's kind of apples and oranges, but both in a pop framework. Steve, in terms of that level of that many iconic songs being performed by the original artist, how does it compare to Nile Rodgers and Chic for like, oh my God, I'm seeing this person perform all these songs that they have made that are just like infallible in in well British culture and just kind of music culture more widely, I would say, but particularly in the UK. I mean, Candle in the Wind, the Princess Diana version, is the biggest selling single of yeah. UK history. So, mm. Well, so here's the thing. I think that it, it is like Apples and Oranges because basically Noel Rogers wrote and performed um, some of the biggest songs mm. ever, right? When you're talking about like, you know, Let's Dance yeah. and um, I'm Coming Up and We Are Family and you know like a virgin as well yeah, like they're yeah. all really really different they're mm. all really really different but they're songs by other artists i think in terms of like straight sales and straight like oh everybody knows every single song there would maybe be like you know um is sad songs um as big as something like uh modern love by david bowie like probably not no, right but so. then you think you are basically i mean you think it's not even the, the, the shit he did from the fucking lion king like yeah. you're not even adding that in right you're basically looking with elton you're looking at i would say a kind of um about a 25 year period where he wrote all of these songs right there's a 25 mm. year period where he and bernie torpin wrote all of those songs. And Noel Rogers, you're looking at a period of probably 10, 12 years okay. where he wrote with other artists who were, who he helped kind of, you know, he, you know, Diana Ross, Sister Sledge, obviously Chic as yeah. well, uh, Duran Duran bowie madonna mm. like you know he's done a lot of stuff with a lot and then yeah. you could even go to like justin timber he didn't hasn't really done the main justin timberlake stuff or whatever but you know he's worked with a lot of like, and daft punk as well you know so he's kind mm. of slipped in with other people to make massive hits it's a he's a fucking hit maker mm. elton john's a hit maker but i think elton john is probably more of he's a more of a that's a more kind of a more of a consistent artist over a longer period of time i would say mm -hmm. rather than a collaborator Noel rogers is a collaborator. I think song for song, you might have to give it for Noel Rogers, although he played a shorter set. Yeah. Noel Rogers yeah. played a, a 12 song set as opposed to, I think if you, if you, if you're taking a 23 song Elton John set versus a 23 song Noel Rogers set, I think mm. that's when Noel Rogers, maybe there are a couple chucked in where you go, All right, well, that's not quite as well known, but then obviously live on, um, burn down the mission. I take me to the pilot border song. Maybe aren't quite as iconic as a lot of the other stuff, but, sure um they are fucking brilliant they are fucking brilliant so i think yeah i mean that, that that's that's all elton john mm. over a kind of 50 year period basically you know 1969 his first album comes out and i mean i think in terms of you're going up to the cold heart came out last year yeah I mean, that's <laughs> That's 53 years. It's impressive longevity, as you say. No, I suppose my what I meant was more just like, how it, how did the excitement of the two shows compare in terms of getting to see these iconic songs performed by, um, well, at least a part of the writing team? I, I would say that it's it's more exciting to watch Elton John because I think, like, Nile Rogers is 
iconic mm. is an icon is a huge 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 artist i think elton john it transcends like uh, i know which is, is kind of iconic and brilliant because of all the stuff that he's done elton yeah. john you know like you say he played at princess diana's funeral he's been on south park he's been <laughs> on will and grace he's been on the muppets he's like he's one of the most instantly recognizable people in popular culture i mm. think he's comparable to elvis to bowie to john lennon mm. to do you know what i mean i think like, I, to to prince to Marvin madonna, Gaye, yeah, to yeah. aretha franklin to like yeah to prince to madonna to you know like he to uh to to, to sid wilson from Slipknot. <laughs> like you know like he he is genuinely one of the most recognizable mm. people in the history of popular culture and to see him do those songs like and he's that because he's such a great songwriter i mean you could say like are oh, the drugs and brian watford and the weird stuff that he's done and the mad suits and the you know the crazy behavior and stuff but that's kind of all that all sort of melts away mm. when, when, when you hear just something like the, goodbye yellow road. yeah 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 so i think you know like it was for me i think elton john means more to me mm. than Noel rogers definitely um i have to say though the o2 crowd i've never seen the o2 so packed mm. and there were a few people I had pretty good tickets, you know. I had pretty good tickets. I fucking should do the amount of money I'm paying for, but like, I had pretty good tickets, <laughs> and I, uh, <laughs> I, um, I saw a lot of people dressed up, mm. and I don't know if it's just that, you know, after what I've just said about James Blunt, you shouldn't like, judge people for being like, you know, just kind of liking any old shit. Like, a lot of people just didn't seem that excited. I was like, how are you not excited? Like, they didn't stand up when he came on. I just stood up, I was like, yeah. yeah. And there was a woman too seats away from me and she had like sparkly thing on full big elton john sunglasses and just sat there with an elton john t-shirt on underneath it sat there with like the most sour face on the whole time and it was a bit like these people i was just thinking you know he's managed to kind of reach these people mm. but i don't know how much they really care do you know what i mean i don't like, mm. i don't know how much they really care about like i don't know if if he if they've been truly sort of touched by a song like tiny dancer yeah. like i just fucking properly like was had tears streaming down like snot coming out my nose and was like oh my god tiny that's fucking tiny dancer <laughs> and like it was it was amazing um and i think a lot of people were just like oh we went to see elton john it was good and he played a few of those songs that i that i play in you know during dinner parties or whatever and yeah. that's fine they can no, do it, no, no, enjoy no. it as their poses steve their poses yeah, they they are, should not poses. stand for this I can enjoy it as however they would want to enjoy it, but you know, I mean, it's. I think it's it's the same. Like I said, I went to see Metallica at the O2, and there's a woman in front of me reading Hello magazine. Yeah. So yeah. when you get to that point, I think you do get people who are just there for like a couple of songs or whatever, or even just clout to say they've seen them. Maybe. Maybe. You know, maybe. Yeah. Maybe some but, people. Maybe not this lady in particular, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, I mean, she dressed up quite a lot, but she just didn't seem. Like she was having a great time, you know. She didn't mm. seem like she was having a particularly good time. But then, you know, well, I hope she did. Actually got better. Yeah. Yeah. I hope she did as well. In her own way, I'm sure she did. Yes. But um, uh, I don't know. I don't want to be like music means more to me than those people or anything <laughs> like that. I I don't. I, I I. It doesn't matter if it does or not. Mm. But I did think that you know, like it, it was a slightly kind of, it's a slightly corporate atmosphere. Basically, okay. is okay. what I'm trying to get at. Well, I'm no. I'm glad that it did mean so much to you, though, and for it to be Elton John's final tour, like I mean, it's quite an incredible yeah. thing to have been 
able to see. Like, I, I know people who are going to Glastonbury who are like, oh, but I don't want to watch Elton John. It's like, what, well, you, one, if, one <laughs> why not? And two, it's his final show he's ever going to perform in the UK. Fucking go to that. It's a special occasion. <laughs> I, I, I got to say, right, you will have your words. If you think it won't be very good, um, you'll have your words absolutely rammed down your throat. Mm. Like, trust me. You, if, if I, I mean, I'll be watching it on TV. Yeah, I won't, me too. I'm not going really to go to Glastonbury, but you'd be you'd be if you're going to glass or even if you're not even just watching telly like you you will watch it and you will think it is great like i absolutely guarantee it unless you've just got really you i don't know you might have incredibly bad taste <laughs> there are you might have out there. Yeah. you might have incredibly incredibly poor taste in music you might have a real tin ear and you might not be able to um sort of appreciate the true craft of of, of great longevity and songwriting and uh, you know, and then you might, and you might not like it. So there you go. But that's on you, unfortunately. Yeah, that is your uh, fault for being a that sick is your, idiot. That is your fault. Yeah, that is your fault. Um, tell it's quite exciting as well. Um, this came out the other day. There's a new band, and they're called Better Lovers, mm. and they've got Greg from the Dinger Escape Band, formerly the Dinger Escape Band. Yeah. Jordan Buckley. Oh, uh, Clayton Holyoken, Stephen Michi from Every Time I Die, and Will Putney from Fit for an Autopsy and producing things mm. all together doing an album, which isn't <laughs> out yet. But you That's can a- hear, you can hear the thirteen under thirteen, thirty under thirteen song that they have released. Uh, this just dropped sort of out of nowhere. It's a bit of us in it. Uh, on paper, yes. I mean, I haven't actually heard this yet, annoyingly. Uh, you asked me just as we were about to record. It's like, oh, have you heard Better Lovers? I was like, sorry, Matt, I should have told you. that? No, no, it's fine. It's my own fault because I have seen that it's come out and I was like, bloody hell, I should listen to that. And I haven't got to it yet. But I guess, Steve, you can give me the sales pitch because I assume, based on the... What, just have? Well, yeah, but I was going to say, based on the pedigree of who's <laughs> in it, I am going to really fucking like it. it I assume yeah. it's chaotic and mathy, but with a great kind of melody to it from greg and produced brilliantly because it's will putney i would imagine it sounds fucking the dog's bollocks yeah you've basically nailed it there you've basically guessed what it's going to be i mean mm. look this is not a particularly surprising i mean surprising they're working together but once yeah. you know who's involved you're not going to be surprised by what the sound of it is it sounds like every time i die riffs produced by one of the best producers in hardcore mm. with one of the best vocalists ever in heavy music stroke ever yeah uh front in it greg's hooks are brilliant it's really good to hear him properly screaming again mm. the riff from jordan i mean i think andy williams who's not in this um does bring some proper like that that little bit of kind of southern rock flair that andy williams brings to every time i die that's not quite there that's not really there but that's that's not a problem that's not always there on every time i die so mm. you know it does uh, you know it does sound like a bit more of a kind of straightforward more standard i guess you go back to kind of maybe the sort of hot damn era oh, okay yeah, every yeah. time i die but it just sounds fat it sounds Fat and fucking heavy, like a skip full of hippos <laughs> with slow prostates. Uh, not prostates. What? What are they called? Slow I, I metabolisms. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Stinker. I need to go and have uh, my it's metabolism really good. checked at the doctor's. Yeah, what's it called when you have a... Can't remember. Doesn't, Doesn't matter, matter does whatever. It? Doesn't matter. <laughs> fuck it. Fuck it. Oh, fuck well, the old... Tell you what, fuck the fucking um, monologuing for me. <laughs> that can't that can't happen, can it? 
Not with shit like that coming out of my mouth. We'll see, we'll see. But no, I mean, it sounds exciting. The fact that um, some of the lads from Every Time I Die are back to it. And the fact, you know, yeah, they've got Greg and Will Putney on side. That is a, a salacious proposition. I wonder what Jordan... Uh, no, no, not Jordan. Uh, I wonder what Keith's next project might be. Maybe there'll be a battle of the bands at some point. Ooh, we'd like to see it. In a boxing ring. Yeah. Dual, like they did dual on stages. MTV2. Dual stages like in, uh, the, in the bad bits of Scott Pilgrim. Which is to say most of the film, actually. I know you don't like it at all, do you? I hate it, yeah. Someone actually did go, oh, I'm going to stick up for Scott Pilgrim. And I didn't respond to that because I was like, I don't want to get into this. Can't be asked. I think it's because I watched Scott Pilgrim recently. I just think it's fucking awful. (sighs) Sorry, I don't want to... I'm not going to slag off Scott Pilgrim versus the world every week, but I'm sorry. It's not good. No. Anyway, uh, better lovers, though. Exciting. Sexy bum time. (laughs) Is, Is that the album? don't know well we'll probably. find out won't we I, we will find out it's an as yet unnamed album mm. so we're calling it that's a working title <laughs> bum time. we'll put that on the bed uh, alright we got a lot of reviews to get through so let's get the shit on with it and let's start with 72 Seasons by Metallica Ooh. the 11th studio album from the biggest heavy metal band of all time so big a heavy metal band are Metallica they're basically not even really considered a heavy metal band by a lot of people anymore, are they? Because they're they're too big. They're too big mm, to well, be metal. Sold out when they kicked um, Ron Bogovny out, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> this is a follow-up to their 2016 album, Hardwired, dot, 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 to self-destruct. I've gone back to bits and bobs of Hardwired to self-destruct over the years and you know what i think there's a few really great songs mm-hmm. on hardwired self-destruct it's not the most consistently great metallica album I no think it's a bit of an unreasonable expectation to consider that it might be but am i savage i actually think is one that people don't really talk about much i think it's really really good moth in a flame obviously is brilliant yep. spit out of the bone it's cool uh i'm sure there are others i well. i would chuck in now that we're dead i think for me that that was my particular favorite off that album because it just leaned a little bit more into the kind of loadier sensibility of metallica which um i just think is a really interesting era for them and uh, i think perhaps where their strengths lie a little bit more like while spit out the bone i think is very good so i went to see them at the o2 on the hardwired tour uh, and i went to night one and at night two they premiered spit out the bone it's the first time they'd ever played it live yeah and my mate who was there yeah oh you're odd well my mate who i was with uh on the first night said oh they fucking played spit out the bone we went to the wrong night it was like i'm glad that we heard damage incorporated instead because the thing is metallica i mean this is you know well-worn path metallica these days cannot write thrash like they used to and so i think for me when they lean into the kind of the slower kind of mid-paced and more groovy stuff like now that we're dead that's the bullseye for what i kind of want from them these days but i agree i agree on hardwired um basically completely because i think it is a very patchy album but i think when it's good it's the best material that metallica have released this century i would say hmm yeah probably i mean i actually think death magnetic uh on reflection i think death magnetic's got some some it, really great songs on it it's like, got three uh, fucking bangers i think the opening track that was just your life is fucking brilliant mm-hmm. that riff is incredible mm-hmm. obviously the day that never comes is great and all nightmare long i think it's super other than that i can kind of take or leave a lot of death magnetic i find it very ploddy and by numbers let alone the production issues of it yes the production is a bit of a problem isn't it i think actually the thing i was i think i'm going to stick up for cyanide really really quickly because I think oh yeah, sorry, were, yeah cyanide were cyanide not to have been played so much in their live set i think people would think a little bit 
more of it. But I just feel like everyone goes, oh, God, bloody Sinai, they're playing it again. <laughs> they won't stop playing it. But, you know, to me, the last truly great Metallica album is Load, which mm. might actually, at this point, actually be my second favourite Metallica album. I think it's fucking brilliant. I think there's stuff to enjoy on everything that Metallica do. Yes. Apart from St. Anger, which Wrong. to me has Wrong. absolutely zero redeeming features whatsoever. So Wrong. listen, this is not going to be the worst Metallica album because it's not St. Anger, which is bum. We're going Sorry, to mate. disagree heartily on that, but fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. that's for True Crap Pop at some point. Yeah, man, I can't wait for that to come out of the hat. Mm. Um, now, we all heard Luxa Turner. And it's kind of a big deal when that happened. I mean, look, as we've said before, and I, you know, as you just heard from Sam, not listening to uh, to Better Lovers, um, songs coming out and just like one song. Rarely do I go, oh, I need to listen to that. But we did actually speak about Luxa Turner. Yes, with Jamie Lenman. Yes. With Jamie Lenman, because, you know, it was such a big thing. And a lot of people really loved it. I thought it was fine. Mm. Uh, it's good. Uh, or should I say better, I think, within the context of the album. We'll get to that in a little bit. But um, my expectations going in. So I heard this quite a while before you listening. Um, I did. Uh, that is true. You're not, he's not you, even blo- like I know, gloating. I know you, did. yeah, I know some of you, maybe not any of you listening, but I know some people form their opinion on it yeah. around the same time as I heard it. But I actually heard it. For my opinion <laughs> Hence, about it your review a while was, ago it was a little more accurate than the metal hammer comment section would have you believe yeah, yeah funnily enough yeah. um and i kind of went in i sat down and you know i was a little bit like oh i've got one listen to this mm. so i'm gonna have to really listen you know i'm gonna have to really kind of take it all in i wrote i wrote about four pages of notes on it right i wrote a fuckload of notes on it mm. very very extensive bit by bit note by note i went back a few times to certain bits so i had it all kind of clear in my head and at the end of it my, my kind of walking in being like a little bit trepidatious because you know you're going oh it's a new metallica mm-hmm. i'm going to sit here and just do it and i have to form my opinion on it. but also um excited because it's a new metallica album. yeah like, absolutely hell, how excited i'm at q prime offices management offices listening to the brand new metallica album on my own before you know a good month or so before anyone else is going to get to hear it and i walked out and at first i was like okay cool this is good this is a good metallica album then when i read my notes back i sort of found myself going uh actually am i just being do I want this to be... Mm. We all want it to be good, right? We all want it to be really, really good. Because fucking Metallica. We all want it to be good. Yeah. Um. But my initial reaction on reflection, and I think what my review of Metal Hammer reflected on that, is that as much as I wanted it to be great, it wasn't. No. It wasn't great. It was okay. It's a decent enough metal album. Um, and a 6 out of 10... That was what that was what I thought it was, but I also thought you know for a band who formed in fucking nineteen eighty, or released their first album in nineteen eighty three, mm. forty years ago, and they're a metal band, like that's not that's not bad, is it? It's better than a lot of it's better than fucking you know Maiden. A lot of ba- <laughs> definitely, but I wasn't <laughs> going to say Maiden. I was going to say it's better than some bands who formed in the nineties are doing. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is that. It, 
Metallica, you know, everyone always says it, and, you know, they're never going to write Master of Puppets again. You know, you're never going to get anything anywhere near no. as good as, well, I'd say the first six albums. I know everyone, you know, mm-hmm. particularly goes to the first four, but I think the first six. Um, I mean, there are moments on the Black Album I'm less keen on, but uh, they are six of the best metal albums ever. You know, you can put them up against any six album run you want to because there aren't many of them. It's basically them in Sabbath for a sixth album run that's pretty much in, like bulletproof. Um, they're never going to write that again, but you're right. There is the excitement and there is kind of the, the want for it to be as good as it is. But ultimately, yeah, what we've got here is another quite sort of middling Metallica album. And it's the, it's the same issues that they've had the entire 21st century where it's in desperate need of someone to come in and say, no, cut that out, trim that down, don't need that. I think, so my first listen to it was um, on the Friday morning, the same as everyone uh, who wasn't reviewing it for Metal Hammer, basically. Um, and it opened with 72 Seasons, the title track, which I'd not heard. I know that was one of the pre-release singles. So I listened to Lux Turner a fair few times. I, I still really like that track. Um, and I I probably like it as much as when we talked about it with Jamie Lemon. Um, I listened to Screaming Suicide once and was like, ah, okay, it's going to be one of these, is it? When 72 Seasons come in, uh, comes in, I think, fucking hell, that is a really strong opening track. I really, really like it. That um, little bass run that Rob Trujillo is doing as it opens, I think it it has kind of some fire, it has some propulsion to it. I think Hetfield sounds fantastic on it. I think his voice works so brilliantly with that slightly weathered rasp that he's got in, you know, in his old age and after the life he's lived. Unfortunately, I do... <laughs> The production is kind of, in objective terms, it is good. You can hear everything that's going on. It fits into its kind of dynamic parameters so much better than definitely the Death Magnetic, Egg, definitely than St. Anger. But when the guitars come in, they just, they feel quite flat to me. Like, I've seen people say, oh, it sounds, you know, it sounds brilliant. The guitars are so beefy and so heavy. And it's like, they, there's very little metallic feel to a Metallica album. It all feels like it sits in quite a low-end register. And it's it's very smooth. It's very flat. It's it, it, I just don't like the sound of the guitars, ultimately. And it's been a problem I've had with Metallica for fucking years. Like, even when you see them live, it's got that quite dull crunch to it. So that's a bit of an issue. And, you know, you get to the solo, and I do think Kirk's solos on this are pretty good. You know, they're not and Justice for All level, but they're pretty not, good. A lot of people have been saying, you know, Kirk's man of the match here, which I think no, is, no, 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 you know, like, it's nice to say that, but it's not. It's not true. Like, uh, Hetfield is the man of the match on this, but hands down. There is no... Honestly, like, obviously you can't have Metallica without Lars, but I genuinely feel that the other three members on this album are pretty expendable. This feels like it's the Hetfield album of this era of Metallica, in the same way that the best bits of Load and Reload are when he actually does some soul-searching and deep-diving, like Outlaw Torn or Fixer or Mama Said or something like that. Um, yeah, Hetfield's definitely the man of the match. But you get to the end of Kirk's solo and it's like, wow, that was really cool. I feel like we've had a really good sort of climactic build. This has been a really good song. Oh, there's another 90 seconds of it left that I don't think we need. And we don't need to go back to the chorus another two times. It basically sets up the store for the whole album. It's all just a bit too long. Every single song has got something good in it. In the same way that every single Metallica album has something good about it. But they're all just way too long. I mean, for me, the best the best moments on this album, I think the best individual song for me would be Too Far Gone. And when I first listened to it, I was like, this is really cool. It's it's taut, it's consistent. I mean, it's about four and a half minutes. And when those twin guitar lead lines come in, it's like, oh, this is really cool. There's something exciting happening. It's not just the same like drum pattern introing the same crunchy guitar that's going to stomp and then go a little bit Sabbathy and then just kind of go back to the thrash that they did so much better so many years ago because they are so much older now. They don't have that fire to them. 
Too Far Gone sounds great. I think it pulls from their new wave of British heavy metal influence superbly, and it doesn't, you know, have ideas above its station. It's just a solid song. When I listened to it, though, I did think this has got a real feeling of an album track that I think people are not going to really go to as much. I have seen, after the fact, kind of people discussing online and whatever and reviews that it has been singled out as a great bit, which is cool. I hope they play it live when we all get to see them. The other, the clear highlight of this album, though, is the second half of Inner Mortar, or Inner Marata, where we finally get a different guitar tone. And it's so frustrating because it's fucking brilliant. And it shows that Metallica can write these epic, grandiose, expansive songs and they can do dynamic build and interplay. And it's so frustrating because they don't do that for the other 75 minutes of this album or whatever, or maybe 72 minutes, I suppose. And it kind of pisses me off because it's like, you are capable of this and yet you're choosing not to. You're choosing to remain in this ploddy register and draw all of these riffs out for so much longer than they need to. I mean... Yeah, it's. I think a six out of yeah. ten is kind of you know it, it. It does deserve a six because it is good, but it's not getting there's, anything higher than that. It, it's in my mind. There's nothing. There's nothing bad on it. There's I nothing bad on it, but there's also nothing there's, particularly good on it. Yeah, it is at the like totally the most bog standard thing. I think there are some quite good things on it, like you know the title track. You start you see you know when the double thing, double time kind of lazy does it goes double time it's quite cool it's seven and a half minutes long what possible justification can it have for being this long when it basically goes half time chuggy then a bit faster back to half time chuggy big solo bit fast like and then practically the same rift on a uh, rift rift <laughs> on shadows fall exactly yeah. the same pace again nothing wrong with it no just sounds like load production or lo- like the kind of load feel on an injustice for all song structure mm. like that's I, I mean that might be my two favorite metallica albums so i can't really get too annoyed at that but it's just a little bit ploddy and i think mm. you know again like kirk comes in around four minutes sounds really good and you just think you could have got him in a minute earlier and left two minutes quicker yeah screaming suicide um I, I actually i like screaming suicide i think it's got a bit more of a kind of glam feel to it mm-hmm. just maybe just those big kind of wah-wah guitars and but again the pace is exactly the same the, the stop if you put a metronome to this album it would probably be in time for pretty much i would say 89 percent of this record you could mm-hmm. put on a certain pace of it and it would be it would follow it that click track barely fucking changes throughout this the whole record mm. i think hetfield is is great on it um yeah, th- there are moments on it you know you must burn i think is is daft as fuck <laughs> very metal really ott but as a tune really really cool i mean it kind of again it kind of sounds exactly the same as all the other songs that have come so far in the album it follows pretty much exactly the same pattern but that greasy sleazy james hetfield mm. sound that he brings to that is great. It's really, really great. And, I do and again, then oh, Lux Turner comes in and it just stops it from getting to... At that point, it's like, you just had a really good song and now you're putting the, you know, Lux Turner. And it's not an all-time Metallica song. I think it's not the best song on this album. No. But at least it sort of breaks things up a bit and it gives you a sort of second wind. And I was kind of like, yeah, this is all right thus far. Um, and then... I think I actually think the end of the album is is the strongest parts of the album. Yeah, I, I think, think if Darkness I think the, had a son. Yeah, go on. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I was going to say I think the last three tracks to be honest. If Darkness had a son, I think is kind of fine. I think it aims for the more sort of rousing tendencies of the stuff they were doing on Load, but never, never gets close to those highlights. I would say with You Must Burn, 
I do like that it does have a little bit of the more kind of Sabbath doomy element. And there's that weird bit in the middle where it goes almost a little bit psychedelic, or kind of psych inspired. And it has the same vocal effect you would have got something on uh, like the house that Jack built. Again, we're getting that kind of load thing. So there are there are those things that I like, but it really it really does plod for the longest time. It it feels like, as I say, I think the first five minutes of the title track are excellent. And then it just goes on a little bit longer than it needs to and now it stays its welcome. And it doesn't really pull me back in as an album until Too Far Gone and we get those twin leads come in. And I, th- I think the final three tracks on it are comfortably the, the best bit of the album. I mean, the best mm. bit of the album is the final six minutes of Inner Murata. Yeah. Because it sounds yeah. different and it sounds good yeah. and it feels like there's actually some sort of kind of passion and like real meticulous craft gone into giving it that build as a finale. Clean guitar. Yeah. I think Rob Trillio there are moments of really great shit from Rob Trillio on, mm. this, 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 on this record. I think there's a couple of times where he just sort of pops his head up from above the kind of endless, like, like, and then he'll pop his head up from it. But like literally every single solitary fucking song with the exception of exception of Luxa Turner and that bit in in Amarata, the pace is a is 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 a real problem for me, mm. and it's not a problem in that what you said about spit out the bone. Can they do thrash anymore? Oh, fine. They don't. You know, no. All right, they can't. I mean, it, I, I, I did see some people online because I said in the review, like, let's just accept the Metallica can't really do thrash anymore. They can't. Or, they, they can't. Like they, they, they can't. They can't. Like, oh, they, they're not trying to, you idiot. They're not trying to. And it's like, well, they, they are. are, aren't they? Because Lux <laughs> yeah. Turner and Spit Out the Bone are both trying to do thrash yeah. stuff, right? What they're not trying to do is the thing that they probably could do, mm. which is write "Nothing Else Matters" or "The Unforgiven," mm. right? There's plenty of evidence on load. Uh, you know, you mentioned um, the day that never comes, right? From from Death Magnetic. Mm. Now, that is generally considered one of the best Metallica songs of the 21st century. I would say yes. Right. Yeah. That is a slow build of a song. Mm. Right. It's very very melodic, quite quiet, quite dynamically interesting. Why why can't they see that they need to write a this this is crying out for a ballad. This album. Oh, it's, it really is. And that, I think that's the thing with Emirat is that that back half is the closest it gets. Um, uh, it's it's so frustrating that they can do these dynamic things. They just seemingly choose not to. It, it's really annoying. Yeah. You know, I do like that they are pulling from those elements of Load, but I wonder if maybe I'm hearing that because I like Load so much. I do think Load and Justice are probably the the two that are kind of collided yeah. most here. I don't think they're going for master of puppets kind of compositions don't think they're going from no. the lightning they're definitely pulling from a bit of kill them all in trying to make it a bit kind of you know thrashier which mm. they are they are trying to make a thrash album again but i mean lad like they are all nearly or well no no they're all nearly 60 and it's like you can hear that they've got that more weathered approach to them write some more stuff like load it would lend itself so much better like you say slower bit of anthem re i think would serve metallica the world do them the world are good to just it, it really would. that like, is what they need to do five minute long songs with big melodic breaks mm. and slow quiet builds and different sonic textures would just make such a difference and and even as i'm saying that you know some of my 
some of my notes here say like Cranobar Wise has a sort of Crozier conformity in the mid to late 90s mm. which again is sort of what they went for a bit on load you know um Room of Mirrors starts like it's got a very Jerry Cantrell guitar mm. tone to it as well it's quite grungy that's good right do you know what I mean like it's good but then it doesn't take very long for that to just devolve into you know your sixth minute of endlessly aimlessly chugging in a four four like, do you know what I mean it's like don't do that in every song mm. Don't do that in every single song. And like, not for 77 minutes as well. Like. 77 fucking minutes. Like, James Hetfield is great on this record, yes. by the way. Vocally, I think, he I think, sounds brilliant. I think James Hetfield sounds really, really good. I think he brings a very, very dynamic and diverse set. Like, you know, sometimes his lyrics... James Hetfield is, is not the, you know, is not the best lyricist in history, right? He... he there are some lyrics and Metallica songs which are great. Mm. He's, he can be a bit hit and miss, I think. He can be really, really great. He can be a bit like, you know, the cat sat on the mat, mm. um, sort of eggy sometimes. And I think some of the stuff on this is, you know, like I mentioned fucking uh, You Must Burn, which is, you get away with it because it's so kind of OTT, silly metal yeah. thing, right? Um, and, but there are times where, he doesn't quite really get away with it, I don't think. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because because lyrically, it might be sort of up and down, but vocally, he sounds brilliant. He's pulling from lots of different things. Sometimes he sounds really angry. Sometimes mm. he sounds really spiteful. Sometimes he sounds really euphoric. Sometimes he sounds like brilliantly melodic. I think it's a really... If James Hetfield did what his band did, he would just be going go, 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 all the way through and it would be just another incredibly boring thrash metal album from mm -hmm. an old thrash band, right? And um, in, in it fucking saves this record completely from the, the fact that he doesn't do that. Mm. I, mean, and I can't understand how James Hetfield can know that he needs to can bring so much stuff vocally to this record mm but then musically can't see that it needs a similar dynamic range. I, I I think that is bizarre. I think it's really bizarre. And then looking at the fucking track, you know, like the first song, seven minutes, 39, six minutes, 56, sleep with my life away. It doesn't need to be that. Like seven no. minutes, oh, three, you must burn. It's crown of our wire. It's fucking, it's like 549. Chasing light is 645. Even if Darkest Had a Sun, which I think is one of the best songs on it. Still six and a half minutes. Still like it's way, way long, way long. And in a in a Morata, like that doesn't really need to be eleven minutes long. No. Even when it's kind of different and justifiable, it still doesn't really need to be eleven minutes and ten seconds long. This album really could be forty five minutes. 40, yeah. Forty five minutes long. You could literally shave it in half. I think. Mm. Yeah, quite easily. And as we've said, and there's so many people... Although that said, wouldn't be shaving it in half, would it actually? 45, making it 45 minutes. You could take a third off it. Yeah, absolutely. But this is the And it would that, sound exactly the same. Well, it would sound exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the issue with Metallica's music, as we have said, as everyone has said in the 21st century, is it's in dire need of editing. But I mean, particularly on this, it's in dire need of just... 
yeah, a, a bit more thought and attention given to song structure. You're absolutely right. Hetfield's vocals are the most dynamic thing on it, apart from the second half of the final song. Like a song like Chasing Light, which to be honest, I think is quite a naff song. But his vocal lines on that, when he does the little, um, uh, the kind of almost ad lib, the lean on me follow up, and properly goes to that higher register, it sounds fucking great. And it's like, well, why couldn't you let him do that on a more interesting song? It's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah, I I do think actually, you know, you you've mentioned that, and I think actually that's a that's a pretty fucking, you know, that that hook mm. that that God God God. That's cool. That sounds really great. Good. Yeah, mm. and he doesn't get to do it. Some of the riffs are all right, but I mean, for me, this is. I think this is closer to a five than a than a seven. Yeah, yeah. I've... Having gone back to it and listened to it a few times you know, since it's been out, <clears throat> I think actually I was maybe, um, maybe too nice to it mm. uh, on, in my review. I mean, it, it's, it's the most frustrating kind of album because there's nothing to really dislike about it apart from just kind of it fundamentally as an album. Like it, it, it is totally passable and it is quite forgettable for the majority of its running time. It's a real shame. It's just a slog, in it? It's just I mean, a slog. Like, I, I don't joke when I say I do actually like St. Anger. Like, I think it is incredibly flawed. I mean, woefully misguided. But I actually think, in the same way that I like bits of Illid Divinum in Sarnus, I think there is something quite entertaining about that, at the very least. And I think, actually, if we take Illid as the sort of framework and apply it to what Metallica have been doing in the 21st century, I think them doing mad shit that is was never going to work but giving it a good fucking go is much more interesting than them doing things that they have done better 40 years ago and just kind of resting on laurels this is blades for Baal versus radical basically and it's i know, <laughs> I know which one i'd rather listen to yeah 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 um i mean look, and again this i don't think this is having people go, oh, you, you, the whole like well you've got a short attention span no 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 that's not it that's not a short attention span saying the same thing over saying one sentence for like if i'm gonna watch a play if i'm gonna watch a shakespeare <laughs> play which is four hours then i probably will be able to sit through it if i just someone just stood on stage and said the same sentence over and over again for four hours that would eventually get boring and that's what this is basically i think unless it was um, Stuart Lee, to be fair unless it was Stuart Lee, <laughs> are you a sardine are you a sardine are you a sardine um where's it sit in metallica's back catalog they've got 11 studio albums I, it's bottom two for me. It is definitely bottom two. I mean, if I'm being, well, if I'm being, I would, get to, I would say if I'm being sensible, it is better than St. Anger. But I would rather listen to St. Anger than this again, genuinely. I'm not just saying that for the sake of a funny joke. I think this is their most boring album. And I think as a result, it is probably the one I'm going to go back to least. I listen to St. Anger more than I listen to Death Magnetic because I, de I think Death Magnetic, for the majority of its runtime, is really boring as well. And that was the first Metallica album that came out when I was a fan. So it should hold a much more special place in my heart, but it really doesn't. Like, I, I think Hardwired is the best thing they have released um, in the 21st century mm. by quite some distance, even though it is wildly inconsistent. I think I would take that wild inconsistency over consistently dull, which I think is what they've turned out basically. For yeah, three I think basically, albums. yeah, this is just on a on one level kind of throughout, mm. like fine, you know, a bit boring, too long, needs a bit of editing, absolutely fine, not particularly memorable. I think both 
Death Magnetic and Hard Ride to Self Destruct have moments. Yeah. Even though there are moments that are definitely on both those records that are probably worse than anything on this, I think the high points are higher. Um, this is better than St. Anger for me, definitely. Mm. I'd put, if I was ranking Metallica's albums from worst to best, this would be 10th out of 11, I think. This is, it, it would probably be 11th for me, actually. I just think it, it just does so little for me. And I think, yeah, in some senses, I, I find that more upsetting than a bad album like St. Anger because it is Metallica and we all want them to be brilliant because they are, you know, arguably still the best metal band, even though they haven't released anything really, really good since 1996. Ah, <sighs> uh, Gary Jinks, good. Yeah, well, no, yeah, it is good. Um, I like a fair bit of Reload as well, but like, if we're talking mm. of the quality that they have been capable of, I mean, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a yeah, long Load time. is the last like time where I would be like, I I love this album. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Like studio album. I I mean, to be fair, actually, I do really, really, really like uh, Garage Inc., but it's not a proper studio album. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> anyway there you go uh, that's our take on 72 seasons by metallica i don't really know if it's of any value to any of you i mean that is just an excuse for a couple of people who won't accept that we're <laughs> we're a pop music podcast to moan isn't it really um yes i do think lizzo's better yes i do oh mate special uh, special is about four billion times better <laughs> and more interesting than this album i mean it's funny i don't it know is, if yeah. it's the album we are going to go to next but the day this came out a single from the saint pierre snake invasion album came out and that single song is more dynamic and better composed than the entire metallica metallica album we weren't going to go to St. Pierre Snake Invasion next. No, we weren't going to because uh, I was going to mix it up a bit Okay. in terms of genres. I was going to go to Champagne for Breakfast by Mad Lib, uh, Mad Lib Mayhem, Lauren and DJ Muggs. That's what I was going to go to. Well, let's go on. Let's do, let's do that. We'll come back to St. Pierre. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, we'll come back to St. Pierre Snake Invasion. We'll circle back around. Um, so we're talking about a collaboration between the Cypress Hill DJ, DJ Muggs, the very well-respected producer, Mad Lib, and the New York-based rapper, Mayhem Lauren. Muggs and Mayhem Lauren have done a couple of EPs together in 2018 and 2019. Pretty cool. Mm. Pretty cool. You know, this is... Um, uh, I guess you would call it old, them, them old school hip hop now. I mean, certainly, um, Mayhem Lauren and Cypress Hill uh, and associated products would be worthy of being called old school at this mm. point, I guess. Um, I think the addition of Mad Lib on this gives it something slightly, just slightly more contemporary, just slightly, I think. You know, something very cool. But ultimately, this is stomping big killer hip-hop kit in the main essentially isn't it super mm. aggressive vocals very very threatening deep thick musicality sounds like um early 90s new york kind of hip-hop album to me uh lots of samples of gangster movies big beats woozy rhythms gruff vocals that's essentially what you're getting from this essentially and i'd say for the for the most part it, it does make up the majority of the album and i think it makes up the strongest parts of the album and i think there are some bits i mean i don't know enough about any of the three uh constituent parts of this album to know who's necessarily to um not to blame but to point the finger out maybe for some of the directions it goes in i think on something like fresh out of the water it sounds fucking great. I think when Mayhem Lauren is going like proper gnashing vocal delivery and it does have that 
not even just outright aggression, but there's an underlying threat to it. I mean, if it, it feels as a song like someone that you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of. I think it's really cool. It's got that kind of, yeah, that dangerous swagger without being frenzied. It, it, it sounds more threatening than uh, someone screaming at you. It sounds, it sounds scarier than a metal album. Um, something on like something like Szechuan Capital, I think, is amazing as well. I think that blown out percussion production they've done, it's unsettling. And then you've got that continuous roll of that piano arpeggio that's almost almost maddening because it's just these three notes just playing over and over and over and over again. It gets to this kind of hypnotic quality before the song flips, and then it does it again, and then at the end it all coalesces back into a really just stomping killer track. Yeah, saying- I've got that down as a highlight. I think Action Bronson turning up is is fucking awesome, and I've called it scatty piano loop mixed with pounding beats. Mm. And again, when you go into that, almost kind of, it's got a touch of the great gig in the sky when it goes into yeah that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah where yeah. it's like wailing vocals. Yeah, really awesome. Absolutely. I would also then say uh, Big Money. I think Big Money for me is the absolute highlight Big Money is the other the one that I've got, man. It's the absolute highlight of the yeah. record. I think those harsh orchestral stabs that just kind of like peek through the really quite dense production i mean there are points on it where it's almost like white noise that you'd hear in the back of an unsane album or something like that but then you've got mayhem lauren over the top giving that gritted teeth performance like i'm not going to kill you but i'm going to make your entire family suffer for the rest of your lives it's like jesus christ but i do then find that after big money the album starts to lose me a little bit i think there is a run from holographic rhetoric basically through to Triple M Airlines, where it gets lost in a kind of quote-unquote experimental kind of, uh, I don't know, malaise where it's like, well, how minimalist can we make this? How much can we pair this all back? And how interesting can we make it? And I think it's at the expense of actually keeping decent hooks in there and giving Mayhem Lauren the platform to really showcase his, his ability. I, I think there is a good sort of like three, four songs here where I'm just like, this has totally lost me. And it never really wins me back over. I think... Oh, actually, no, Triple M Airlines, sorry, I don't really like either because it's a weird kind of interlude that just feels unnecessary. I'd say one of them ones is the last track on it that I like. The back half of it, I really struggle with. And I don't know if that's just me kind of missing the point. Maybe there's some kind of wider theme to it where it, it makes more sense with more listens. But I'd say after Big Money, it kind of drops off quite considerably. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, this... So I think there are a few highlights here. I think some of it is totally just fine. Yeah. And some of it is really worth going in on. I mean, you know, Szechuan Capital, you've already mentioned, is mm. brilliant. Big Money is... Easily the amazed, best song on that. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. Um, there's a kind of funk click in uh, Dom versus Chris, which comes quite quickly after Big Money. But then, yeah, you know, um, I think... I'm surprised you, you, you're not in on uh, O.D. Wilson, which I think is really good. I think that's got a kind of Billy Woods horrorcore feel to it, which I, I don't think it's done... I don't think it's done anywhere near to the same standard, no. if I'm being perfectly honest. But I do think it is, at the very, very least, you know, like a, a, a vibe that you would kind of go for. I suppose... I mean, I, I'm, I'm not really a fan of it. I think it, it's discernible more as a track than some of the stuff that's going on in the in the back half. I mean, I do think, yeah, holographic rhetoric, I really don't like it. It takes me out of it so aggressively, that kind of deliberately drawling, quite almost amateurish feel to it but like i know that they're 
deliberately doing that because of the pedigree of the people behind this i don't you know i don't know their work super well but i know their reputation precedes them you've got that pop clink fizz as well which has got almost kind of like a primus kind of lilt to it with this like umpar feel i mean od wilson yeah it's more discernible and straightforward as a song but it's doing that minimalist trying to strip it all back and i I don't think it does the album any favors i think when it's got a warmer production at the start even when it is a bit harsh and a bit threatening it just sounds so much better yeah look i think all the kind of you're you're definitely right that all of the kind of cut and paste stuff um or essentially makes about half the album feel like interludes Mm and slight ideas rather than sort of proper songs yeah and you know some of it's all right i mean i actually quite like african um pomporo mm-hmm. um i actually think that is one of the better ones it doesn't give you much to kind of there's not a lot of meat on the bones of, of those sort of songs as in you know big money's got a lot of meat yeah, on the bones. yeah, yeah. Uh, i would also say od wilson even though it is again quite minimalistic sounding i think there's quite a lot to to kind of focus in on so i kind mm. of I, I do like that as well but yeah something like triple m airlines um pop clink fizz uh evolution which comes straight after big money as well they don't really feel like even sort of half finished ideas i think they're things that sound quite good i think madlib is is great at kind of giving a kind of sonic template for stuff to work with mm. but then i don't really feel like I think that's that's an idea, isn't it? That's an idea and there's not much else that comes along with it. Yeah. I actually do quite like... Um, oh, it made me laugh anyway. Wild Salmon, the last song. Mm. And that is a proper song. You know, it's three minutes 42 and it yeah. does feel like a proper song. And it's got um, a sample of that guy going, oh, you don't look like a husband. And then and then Lauren going, who the fuck is that guy? Get the fuck out of here. Like That's really <laughs> funny. I think that's a really funny way like him actually talking to the sample. And it's got a bit of that kind of 80s um philly soul to it as well which i liked and there's a bit reason he's saying about telling the alchemist to put a shirt on because he's too pale and he's scaring the kids i think that is like pretty funny i think it, it it slightly redeems itself at the very very end but look this is it's not an essential album mm. it's far i'd say it's far from an essential album it's an enjoyable one you know there's nothing on it that makes again a bit like the metallica album although this gets done in 39 minutes and um funnily enough doesn't expand enough on its ideas yeah I think got two albums here weirdly <laughs> that don't really have anything to do with each other and they are almost like the flip of the same mm. coin because you've got one which doesn't really have very many ideas and then just will not let them go and then you've got another one which has clearly got quite a lot of ideas but can't be bothered to expand on them properly mm. so uh and what you both end up in both cases is uh, you know like a, a not particularly essential record that has a couple of really really cool things on it yeah both quite frustrating experiences i found yeah like not great unfortunately but i think you know again the caliber of people involved you would probably expect a little bit more than this mm. i would say but it's okay it's fine it's another it's fine. it's another it's another six out of ten mm. in it really yeah yeah so we're getting all the bad stuff out of the way first <laughs> don't worry about it um yeah, it's not bad it's Get the rubbish up bad. front yeah champagne for breakfast is mayhem lauren DJ Muggs and Mad Libs collaboration album. That is out now if you want to go and listen to that. Right, Sam's already teased it a little bit. So let's bloody well talk about it. The St. Pierre Snake Invasion Galore, the third album. 
from the Bristolian based I've written hardcore collective I'm not sure if that is fully uh, giving the correct impression of what we've got here particularly. No. but no. it's the follow up to their 2019 album Caprice Enchante an album which I know that you love it was my album of the year for 2019 Steve I think it's um, absolutely spectacular I think if you like that every time I die refuse the chariot kind of quite chaotic hardcore but then still has room to put in some really cool melodies and a bit of the kind of um acerbic wit of McCluskey I don't think you'll find a better album um I think my one my one very very minor not minor slight reservation with Caprice Enchante which I still listen to a hell of a lot to this day is that I think the production um slightly hampers the impact of some bits of it I think it sometimes Mm. sounds a bit muddy but I love Caprice Enchante yeah i did too i thought it was really good i say i loved it i thought it was really really good Mm. i thought it was great at the time i listened to it i remember thinking this is really really good i listened to it a bunch and then i guess the pandemic happened keep on listening to albums i i have to be honest i haven't really gone back to it that much so you know um i remember there are a few songs in it which i just thought were fucking excellent Mm. but as a whole i've not really listened back to it that much some of that might be a personal taste thing. Yeah, in sure. That I don't really listen to much of that type of thing that much anymore. Um, but they're back after sort of four years. Mm. Four years of an album for them now. And I think in this instance, in terms of personal taste, they're much more likely to stick around for me this time because I feel like they've done something which is both broader but takes more risks Mm. and for that i'm going to commend them immediately even before (laughs) i've told you whether or not i actually like it and they also haven't decided that just because they're doing lots of stuff that they're going to make this too long and boring and an endless kind of slog of an affair because it really is it's pretty short considering there are such a multitude of ideas on this record as well it's not a long record at all it's only like just over half an hour right yeah 36 minutes and um so when you start with Cracked Velvet, which I think um, has a, almost a little bit of a kind of, um, I don't know, I guess a tease of a start where it start it begins with this syncopated drum beat from Pete Reisner and Damien providing vocals. And it has got a bit of that deliberate blown out thing. So I guess it's, I don't know, may, maybe almost a deliberate nod to the production of the previous albums. But when it kicks in with that, that massive riff that huge elastic um but still quite chaotic and angular feeling riff i mean it just sounds it sounds fucking incredible it's the production that saint pierre been crying out for it gives everything that much more um oomph and heft but you think you start there and then when you get to the end of i pray to liars in 36 minutes it's gone to so many places it feels like an album that's a lot longer than it is but not in terms of it's a taxing listen or it's draining it's just there are so many ideas in here and i mean for me all of them expertly um executed i think i mean it will come as no surprise that i absolutely adore this album i absolutely adore this and i think some of the things that they're doing on here so it's interesting with the the first two singles so sub meccano and the overlook i think even though they are a little bit mm, i guess more kind of angular than the previous album i think they are the closest bedfellows to caprice on chante I think it's the bits where they go totally off piece on a song like Midas or the title track Galore, um, which features um, Aisling Whiting from Sang Fouad doing guest vocals. I think something like that is the bullseye for what 
what they can do. I think it shows such, um, like you say, so many the risk that they are willing to take, but without throwing the baby out with the bathwater and just being a totally new thing. I think those more dancey tracks are great. I think something like Apex Prey as well, the quietest thing that they have ever done, I think is absolutely beautiful. Again, with Ashling on it. I think it's wonderful. Introducing a bit of that dance element to this album. I think, you know, obviously Damien um, sounds great on it. Um, you know, he kind of, he's the guy who sort of formed the band and um, he, you know, he would never take sole credit for anything, but he's very much the figurehead of of the band, whether he likes it or not. But I think um, Pete, Pete's percussion on this, adding that dancey element to something like Midas, and particularly that there's fighting talk, which I'll get to in a minute, I think it just mm-hmm. absolutely elevates this to another level. Like Caprice, as I say, was my favourite album of 2019. I think this shits on that previous album. I think it makes it look almost quite redundant as a hardcore album. This to me feels like I Am King to Forever level of kind of improvement. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I mean, the thing is, is, you know, like I say, there are a couple of songs from that last album that I really, really liked. And then I haven't really gone back to it, Mm. which um, like not loads anyway. Uh, I'm only really kind of cherry pick, like maybe three or four of the songs from it that I thought were fucking great. But I do remember being like, this album's really good. Mm. The album's really, really good. Um, The stuff that they're doing on this is to me way more interesting than Mm. hardcore way more interesting than just kind of barking at you over a bunch of every time I die riffs mm. and not, not that's not what I'm saying what the, the only thing they were doing before but I'm just talking about hardcore bands in general who are you know we've spoken about a load of different hardcore bands this year from fucking Zulu or going back to even going back to Turnstile and mm. Code Orange and you know Soul Glow and whoever else you want to you want to whack in there and I think there's been little moments where you would go oh there's a british sort of equivalent who could fit in there i mean the obvious one would be uh they fear us by ithaca mm. uh that would be yeah, yeah, yeah. the obvious suggestion to like to uh, what can britain do which is similar to what the really forward-thinking american bands can do mm. i think you had St. Pierre snake invasion in on the strength of this album but i also think they've completely move away from the scene crack velvet is is a banger i mean it's like to me it's like like clockwork era queens of stone age with some kind of melodic alternative hardcore band with every time i die riffs i mean i like bands who can make pure melodicism heavy Mm. like this is heavy because of how melodic it is midas you mentioned it's just a banger it's a Mm. fucking it's a bang it's a fucking club banger it's great it's got that kind of kraut rock thing to it but it's got just a bit of subtle threat this isn't like oh and, and this album we've cranked it up to 11 <laughs> and it's just a fucking great tune yeah it's set it's a sexy song mate it is it's well good so it's all right to be sexy and you know like you <laughs> mentioned sub macho again i think you know that's got a kind of clangy electro rock riff in it i think the title track is brilliant mm. um is, is it like because i've been you sent it to me and it's all one track so i'm trying to work out if i've got the right track listing but apex prey is the one which is the kind of slinky heavy yeah. melodic kraut rock thing and that's the one isn't it like that's the best song on the record so for me i think there is um a good sort of six seven minutes that shows the two sides of what saint pierre can do evidently could do so brilliantly and i think they are the two best songs that they have ever released Uh, i mean they may well have written stuff that has never come out that might be even better but i doubt it but yeah apex prey the the really kind of um yeah 
quiet kind of slinky beautiful song that is a duet between damien and aisling um into that there's fighting talk i mean that there's fighting talk is uh, you will have well anyone who's bothered about st pierre already will have heard it when it came out the day that the metallica album was released in four minutes just the most incredible mix of um, I mean, the armed and LCD sound system and soul wax and Meshuggah. It's like getting beat up in a, a mathcore club. It's fucking... Or mathcore disco, I would say. It's fucking amazing. I think those two songs, the two sides of what they can do, that just outright frenzied brutality mixed with that real kind of vulnerable beauty. I think that is the absolute high watermark of what they've done to date. I think it's incredible. I think yeah. those two songs... Um, they're up there for songs of the year and i think they complement each other so well in the sequencing i think having them next to each other makes them both that much better yeah i agree i mean the thing like this this is what i would like from heavy music you know like really heavy music like fucking songs yeah not just riffs and screaming and just battling like how heavy can we be mm. like it, it, we've we've basically had now i would say well over a decade of heavy bands just being like we need to just be heavy mm. and i feel like um i don't listen much to uh the old punk rock nba guy finn mckenty guy right but i do watch some stuff and he was saying that you know like metal fans now and like fans of heavy music now they, they just seem to care about riffs mm. and i think that that is a problem when you if you're just going oh but riffs like th that's not going to appeal to most people that's not what most people want yeah. they don't just want riffs they want songs they want melody mm. they want like do you know what i mean and i think it's actually it's much harder to write a heavy catchy banger mm. than it is to write a big fucking riff salad and then shout over it and then go dun 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 dun, 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 dun over it. like that's and it's e that's easy and it's been a long time since bands you know like that's why limp biscuit are massive and you know insert fucking much more Claw credible but ultimately oh, boring no. band are not right like that that because they wrote songs you know that like mm -hmm. appeal to a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot of people and i think someone like mastodon mm. have managed to get the balance sort of to do one Mastodon don't often do but you know they can they can do they can do both um but they don't often do it at the same time you know there is quite a few examples of them doing it and i think obviously Mastodon are fucking incredible Amazing. i think opeth could do it like could could opeth write a really heavy but also really really catchy song i don't know if they could right mm. they could write something that, make, mm, that was really good and that riff's really clever and all oh, what an incredibly technical or oh, i didn't see that coming it's 15 minutes long and blah blah yeah but uh, those songs that the reason new metal crossed over to so many people was because it was so brilliantly instantaneous and then the songs were so good like at its best the songs mm. are so good right so instantaneously brilliant and i feel like now there are a bunch of bands in hardcore and in metal and stuff who are going do you know what i just want to like we have to be able to write fucking have to be able to write songs have to be able to write songs and this is a great example of a band who it's not the be on end all if it's not just really really heavy and really really extreme like that's not the that's not the fucking point of this record no it, it feels like 
these songs are super catchy i've got like three or four of the choruses you know i've not had this very long i've only had it for like three four days now and yeah a bunch of the songs are just like and I've, you know, obviously been listening to the metallica album a lot and that's quite the undertaking We've got a lot <laughs> of shit going on and but i have fucking I, they're really memorable they're really really memorable songs and so i think that's um i think that's good and it doesn't happen anywhere near enough so for that alone i'm gonna give this album a big old thumbs up mm. i mean i'm gonna give it more than a thumbs up when i think about my favorite albums of the year my sort of like long list of you know the things that have really really stayed with me I mean, obviously, we've mentioned Algiers a lot. I'm still listening to that Young Fathers album a hell of a lot. I really like that Code Orange remix album. But for kind of, I mean, it feels wrong and misselling it to say straightforwardly heavy. But for a heavy album this year, this for me is way out in front. Way out in front. I think this is Mm. fucking astonishing. It is the best thing St. Pierre have done to date. And it feels like it's kind of just sort of, because they are trying so many different things here and they've nailed them first time around i'd be really interested to see how much further they can push a lot of the limits of the things they're doing i think this is a tremendously exciting album yeah i hope they fully sell out (laughs) and uh become a pop band that's what they should that's what they they should all do (laughs) um i'd like that uh yeah it's really really good galore by the saint pierre snake invasion is out now as is the new album from grave pleasures plague boys it's either the third or fourth album from the finnish post-punk revivalists i'd say the fourth really as it was only the name change mm. that made the beast milk album not a grave pleasures album they are essentially the same band yeah um but anyway it's a follow-up to their 2017 album mother blood which i absolutely loved mm. mother blood absolutely loved. Album. yeah I adored it. It was the best. It was the absolute best. Six years without a fucking album for this band, which is crazy. Crazy. To Mate, like amount of time. Long old amount of time, isn't it? It's mental. It makes St. Pierre look quite prompt with their release schedules. I know, right? It's crazy. Mm. Come on, um, Grave Pleasures. What have you been playing at? What you been bloody doing, you fools? <laughs> yeah, I, I like Grave Pleasures a lot. I thought Mother Blood was fucking excellent. It is essentially, I think at the time... A few people said to me, it's like Grown Up Creeper. Mm. It just sounded like a fast, punky kind of uh, from the extreme metal scene, but not playing extreme metal version mm. of like Bauhaus or something, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, th- this is sort of more of the same, um, but also not as well. But it feels like this would be quite a good time to be in Grave Pleasures now that there is an entire host of post-punk gothy bands that are getting some serious attention so mm. i think this might have come out at a pretty good time for them it's either come out at the best time or they've left it like two years too late and they fucked it and you know the scene has moved on yeah i mean quite possibly i certainly hope it's the former because i think this is really really strong indeed i mean yeah as you say it's broadly more of the same i mean when it starts off with disintegration girl it's got that lovely new wave sort of gothy 4-4 beat that you would hear in your bow houses and sisters of mercies um it's really cool and i like when the histrionic guitars break through that kind of fuzzy production that they've given it all but for me i think the thing that i mean maybe i'm just kind of misremembering what um their previous albums were like the thing for me that i think was a really nice is it even really surprise i don't know that i call it surprise but a nice little accoutrement is where you get something like high on annihilation where it's more electronic driven you've got those program drums under what kind of goes for like a B-52 style warped surfer rock vibe? I think that sounds great. And actually, um, much as I dislike the uh, the 
awful white nationalist. Um, there are bits of this that sound like the Smiths and sound like Morrissey. And I think it actually sounds really, really good for that. I think something like lead, lead balloons. I think um, Matt McNerney's vocals being a bit more full-bodied, being properly in your face for the first time on the album, really. Have it in front and centre. It's what the record desperately needs in terms of the sequencing and it livens everything up that much more. And I think the opening four tracks are excellent anyway. But yeah, it sounds to me like the Smiths raised on the dark arts rather than fucking BNP propaganda. It's great. I mean, that's not fair <laughs> to the rest of the Smiths. Don't, don't, no, Johnny Mars not going to like <laughs> no, that. That's not fair to the rest um, of the Smiths. But yeah, it, it, it sounds a bit kind of Queen is dead uh, in a good way. But Queen is dead, but also hmm. some of the people writing the song and they've come back from the grave to tell you about it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, very gothy. I think you say D- Disintegration Girls, like, oh, this is classic sounding grave pleasures. Yeah. Stuttering drums, lumbering bass, big synth lines made of pure ice. Very, very good. And then it would takes a little bit more of a kind of laid back um, approach, I think. You know, it's a bit Bauhaus-esque on mm. Heart Like a Slaughterhouse. Dark as fuck. Quite slinky. Probably not... Um, quite as propulsive as some of the songs from mother blood i would say when i think of like like um mind eraser or like th- <laughs> that kind of shit that it felt like it was that, those kind of really kind of fast um drive. there was a kind there was a, a sort of like i say like a punk rock almost black metal energy to them without them actually really playing black metal from the other stuff but i think here you get a song when it gets to you know um, when the shooting's done, a bit more laid back, a mm. bit more like Interpol. So Interpol obviously mm. were a band who were inspired by all that stuff, but were part of that sort of second, maybe not put it second wave, but that the the, the post punk revival, the first ever post punk revival, which happened in the sort of early two thousands, and High on Annihilation. You know, it's got almost a sort of dream pop start to it. Um, I think you know Matt McNerney goes fully in Curtis but it's a kind of more feminine sounding Ian Curtis um, Mm. on on that song. They're not quite, it's not as heavy and propulsive and fast and aggressive. It is a bit more, let's say, Smithsy, indie, fey. I mean, I I love Lead Balloons. I think it's Mm. one of the best songs on the record. One of the most anthemic sounding songs on the record as well. It does still sound like Grave Pleasures. But it still it sort of sounds like a more stadium sized version of them. I think mm. it's actually probably my favourite song on the album. And you know, you you get you get a few things. You know, conspiracy of love, quite mm. lost boys. Title tracks quite smooth. You know, some of it's a bit imminent collapse. It's got that dark energy, but it's a bit more pared back than their earlier stuff. I mm. feel like this is their attempt to fully transition away from anything to do with like extreme metal because they all mm. came from that kind of underground death metal black metal scene and decided to make a goth band and ended up being quite a quite fast aggressive quite raw punk mm. band and although they don't really ne- they haven't necessarily strictly changed their sound everything feels a bit more pared back a bit bigger a bit mm. broader a bit more um welcoming i think and that's no bad thing but it's just an observation. Yeah, it's just a different flavour of Grave Pleasures. I mean, it's funny thinking about the fact that they do all come from these extreme bands. The only time I've ever seen Grave Pleasures was opening for Converge, and it's like, well, they were yeah. still, you know, in that kind of real punk vibe. And I mean, this is still a punky album, but yeah, it just it pulls from some more sort of, um, I suppose, shimmery and often uh, occasionally sort of jangly influences. I mean, I think Conspiracy of Love, I, I think it's between Lead Balloons and Conspiracy of Love for my favourite thing on this. And I think 
having that kind of jangling stadium acoustic guitar with Matt McNerney doing his gothy drawl over the top, it sounds fucking great. And I also like that there's the kind of maybe reference to like, yeah, we're fully moving away from this and then drops of beast milk return down to the valley of the abyss. It's like, oh, you're well goth and you're having a pop at your old <laughs> band name. Well done. Love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, look, I mean... um, I fucking loved Mother Blood. I thought I knew. Mm. It, was, it just felt like the right album at exactly the right time for me when it came out. I think this is very, very good. There's quite a lot of it around at the moment, though. Yeah. I think, weirdly, it probably doesn't feel quite as uh, unique as Grave Pleasure did before. But saying that, you know, these are really good songs. I think, essentially, are they good songs? That's whether whether this, you know, lives or dies by. And I think they, ultimately, they are... They're big, you know, there's some fucking big tunes on this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I like it as much as, no, I, in fact, I don't think I do like it as much as Mother Blood. I think Mother Blood just hit me at the right time and it was the right mix of like harshness and that kind of goth thing. And this is a bit more, you know, like everything I've just said, but it's still really good. Like, I do still think it's very good. Yeah, it is really good. It's the easy listening version of Mother Blood. Um, I, I don't think it's as good. I do wonder... I think some of that is the fact that we've had Mother Blood for six years. But then, yeah, I do feel that this hasn't got the immediacy, but the songs in it are still excellent. As you say, it lives and dies on its songs, and the songs are really fucking good. If you like Grave Pleasures, I can't see you be disappointed with this. I mean, maybe the weight, you know, a six-year weight might sort of dull its impact, but I think this is a, a strong album indeed. This is one I'll definitely be whacking on when I'm walking to the, I don't know, sanctuary yeah i don't know yeah um it's funny actually because i get sent a lot of albums in advance and i don't usually i've got to the point where i'll get sent something i'm like i don't have time to even fucking think about that but i got sent this and straight away i was like oh my god new growth pleasures i was Mm. super excited to get this right it's one of the the most excited i've been about getting an album for ages because i I just love mother blood so much and i just whacked it on straight away i was like yes um but I'm, and I'm not disappointed, not no. at all. I think they're a really, I, I, I think they're a great band. I think they're a great band. This just isn't their strongest album for me, but nope. it's still very good. Yeah. Anyway, Plague Boys by Grave Pleasures is out now. And we move on to a, a bit of an oddity, actually. Real Food at Last by Understand, the second studio album from the Southend-based UK hardcore crew. The follow-up to their 1995 debut album, Burning Bushes and Burning Bridges. Mm. That is 28 years between albums, by the way. This is an interesting and odd thing. Understand, for those of you who don't know, and I imagine it's easy going to be people who are like, yes, finally, you're talking about this band. Amazing, great, brilliant. Or people who are like, I don't know what that is right no. so let me fill you people in understand were a like i say a a uk hardcore band from the 90s who basically supported any and every us hardcore or fast melodic punk band that ever came through london in the uk for a good few years in the mid 90s and they were very good I probably saw them about 45 times over the course of <laughs> between 1996 and 1998 because they played with basically everybody. Mm. They became like the UK hardcore band to put on with the American punk band, I think. Right. Um, it was amazing to think back then in 1994, 1995. This is how weird the music industry was back then. To understand 
I'll say it again. A UK hardcore band from Southend signed <laughs> to East West Records, a subsidiary of Atlantic Records. What? Uh, signed, by the, signed by the guy who signed Pantera, the Rembrandts and Missy Elliott. Right? Blimey. Absolutely mad. Weird. And that major label debut album, Burning Bushes and Burning Bridges, mm. <clears throat> again, a major label debut. Nuts to say that about a hardcore band from the UK in the mid-90s. Um, that album came out, and I was aware that that album was out. I could never find it. Like They might have been on a major label. This is the problem with stuff like this, right? They might have been on a major label, but, you know, Basingstoke, Andover, Salisbury, Reading, the places near around me. Didcot, Bergfield. Didcot, Bergfield, yeah. Uh, all that winnerish. <laughs> um, <laughs> not near winnerish. Uh, you, you could not find... You could not find that album fucking anywhere, right? Certainly not near me. Um, and for a few years, understand we're a band who were put on the bottom of the bill everywhere. And then one day, they just weren't there anymore. Mm. Those little kind of column inches that they got in Kerrang! just disappeared. And much like, fucking hell, let me chuck some names out there. Much like Miocene Autonomy cynical smile stoopy phony and the rest they just sort of vanished i thought never to be heard from again now by all accounts the members of the band still work in the music industry one of them does lights for iron maiden i think it's lights for different iron maiden oh, okay. one tour manages ed sheeran and Maisie peters oh. uh, one is a part of the road crew for muse so hmm. they've done all right you know they yeah, had this little yeah. thing they got signed to a major label. Obviously, it was never going to work out. Signed to a major label, couldn't get your debut album, got a load of support slots, didn't really, nothing really happened. The end. Um, why would they come back? Well, their second album, the album we're about to talk about, actually was recorded for East West in the 90s, recorded in, I believe, 1999 and shelved. For that entire time. Bloody completely out. shelved, just left, never been released, never been talked, you know, kind of they didn't get back together. Like I say, they're obviously quite busy. Um and it, then COVID hit and they had nothing to do. So the members of the band found themselves with nothing really to do in the live music industry. And for the first time in that twenty year period, they suddenly had an opportunity to finish that record off. And that grew even more pressing that they wanted to do that when their guitarist, John Hammond, um, very, very sadly passed away in 2021. So this is kind of being released now so that people can hear his work. Mm. And this is what we have now. It's a new quote-unquote album that's actually 24 years old from a band that aren't even really considering touring or supporting it. It is a relic, like a fossil, uh, like something, like a little gem that you'd have found on some kind of archaeological dig from a really, really, really odd time in the music industry. A time where a bunch of lads who liked underground punk rock and lived in South End could sign to the same record label as Missy Elliott. And <laughs> even though it goes not in the way that they would have wanted it to go. Uh, 
all these years later, there is a small faction of people who are like, fuck, I want to hear this unheard Understand album. And those people who are in the know, I think are right. Because this album is fucking great. This album is fucking great. I mean, I so we were speaking before and I said, oh, you're probably going to have to very much hold my hand through the Understand review because like every time we would do something on the Patreon about a band from the 90s UK underground scene, I don't know. And I said, I can't really find any reliable information about Understand. And you said, oh, mate, don't look into it. I'll tell you the story. And blimey, I had no idea that that was the case. I mean, I understood that this was a kind of unearthed, like second album, um, of a band beloved by basically blokes in their forties. So my mate Dan was excited about this Understand album. Okay. I assume you were Gaz Jones, Sean Leddington, the like, all them. Yeah. And I was like, well, the best people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I the mean, be- to be, basically to be the best. You mean the best people? Let's just say how it is. I mean, all the people the who went guys. to Curb Dog at Islington, basically. Yeah, that's the crowd. Simon the Young, audience. Mike Collins. We're all up to... We, we know. We, we all know. You know, probably Dan P. Carter as well. Yeah, chucking yeah, in there. yeah. All them lot, you know. yeah. Well, you got to have like, someone famous in there, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> all right. You know. What have um, you ever done on yeah. telly? Nothing. No, no, nothing. I haven't done anything on telly. You're right. Yeah, nothing. No, anyway, cool. um, this is... Yeah, this is fucking great, man. This is fucking great. And I think... Um, you know, I, I slightly deliberately say all the people at the Curb Dog show because I think the the things I absolutely love about this remind me of a lot of the bands from that time who I have discovered way after the fact. So the little bits of kind of Curb Dog-isms in some of the choruses because they are so infectious and so joyous, um, even though they, they can hit quite hard when they need to. I think uh, a song like Screwtop Milkshake hits a really, really good um, middle ground. I mean, it's weird to think all the comparisons... Oh, mate, it's so good. But the comparisons I'm going to make are all bands who would have recorded after this album. So it's really not on the money at all. I mean, this is clearly pretty ahead of its time because Screwtop Milkshake is somewhere between the melodic sense of 100 Reasons on Ideas Above Our Station and the jagged, angular guitars of At The Driving on Relationship Command. It's fucking brilliant. And it's all done with this production that gives you that beefy, like, post-helmet, low-end, alt-rock, alt-metal riffing. It's great. Um, you want the news? Well, here's the blues. Sounds like it, it's got so much kind of weird noise going on in it. It could be Milk It off in utero. It's fucking amazing. Um, I Can Get You In it turns for the proper heavy end of post-hardcore and goes well wiry. It's full disclosure from the argument. That's what uh, it sounds like to me. It sounds like Jamie Lemon, I think. Uh, fucking uh, sounds just like a... It sounds like Ruben. sounds like just like something Jamie Lemon would do. Man, I think I it's mean, well, well Jamie Lemon, that. Uh, I mean, yeah. Go on. <laughs> No, I was gonna say like that, like you know, look, this is really good. Like Screw Top Milkshake, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is excellent. Mm. Um, I mean, the opening song—it's just the classic sound of melodic hardcore from the United Kingdom from a time that no one really fucking talks about. Big popping bass lines, gruff guitar, some really cool vocal parts. In terms of highlights, just really quickly, the riff on Long Driving Driving Contest is great. Mm. The groove in that mathy bit on the sentence is great. Yeah. That, like I say, that Jamie Lenman intensity of I can get you in and that stompy kind of melodic stuff on, on skirt is fucking great. Now, I appreciate that there'll be a bunch of you who may not have heard of this band, but if you've been listening to me over any amount of time and you've heard me talk about bands like Curb Dog, Favez, Handsome, Sensefield, Texas The Reason, Man Will Surrender, and if you liked any of those bands and you haven't heard this, I th- I think you'll go fucking boo for it because it's mm. really good. Yeah, the quality of this is undeniable. I mean, it 
it is stuff that you have heard before, but never necessarily kind of all put together in the way that it is here. And the fact that this is from 1999 for the most part as well, it's like it is well ahead of its time. This is yeah, this is excellent. This is this is my second favorite thing we're talking about this week. By, by quite nice. some distance, I would say as well. I think, I think it's well, maybe not by quite some distance, but I think it's fucking great, man. Um, I think the at first the final song, lightweight outro. Um, <coughs> I think it fits really nicely in between the noisier and the more melodic end of what they're gonna do. It's heavier and more melodic, Steve. That's what they've done it with is. the second album. Um, yeah. I did think th- at first it was like uh, it kind of feels like it just falls apart, maybe deflates a little bit. But I actually think it's a really cool finale. I wonder if that is one of the songs that was kind of finished way after the fact, as a kind of like we know that there's not really going to be anything after this album comes out because of the circumstances in- under which it's being mm. finished. Um, but yeah, I mean nothing I don't like on it. I think it's great. I, I clearly need to go and listen to their, their debut album. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. Mm. Very good. There you go. Understand finally, uh, with their second album from all those years ago. Real food at last. It's out now. We're gonna end with any. That's E double N Y. We go again. A brand new EP from the London based rapper following her twenty twenty debut i think it's more of an ep although it is classed as an album on spotify i think it's more mm. of an ep um anyway under 25 uh, which was released in 2001 any is best known for her song peng black girls with jora smith georgia smith sorry not jora smith georgia smith which um is big is a is like a big song it's got like 13 million plays on oh, spotify or something okay. um in fact i can tell you exactly how many it's got um up two places oh, like from last six, week sick 31 million the remix and 16 million um the original so yeah nice. like that's a that's a that's a pretty big hit mm. considering it came out like well it came out in 2020 so it's it's been out a while now but yeah that's probably what she is best known for um i actually just sort of discovered like i i didn't know that song i didn't know her um merlin actually recommended this to me he said oh this things is coming i heard laura Karner's voice and i was like oh laura Karner," and it turns out it was this artist any and he was like i think you'll really like this i think it's really really good it's very very short mm. six tracks in 15 minutes feels like she got quite a lot to say says it very well she's very eloquent i get it to laura Karner in a bit because i think he's fucking just got an amazing voice um merlin said to me he's like oh you know you got quite little sims vibes on it and i feel like that is a decent enough comparison but hey now let's not get ahead of ourselves here that she's i think the comparison with one of if not the most consistent hip-hop artists on the planet i mean certainly in the uk at the moment in little sims Mm. that is i can see the comparison but don't be going into this expecting it to be as great as little sims is Saying that, I still think everything on this is really good. Mm. You know, there's a lovely little bass break and I think her voice flows and soars and swoops really, really wicked. She kind of, she can be very slow and deliberate and then very intense with just a click of the, with just a click of the finger um, on um, You Should Heal and No More Naja Men. I love the um, the song 2AM in Central, which is the, the fourth song on it. I think it's, really really good super catchy staxy soul banging fucking wicked that hook of i really needed an ad like this is brilliant mm. um 
The charge it's a banger as well. Yep. I think smooth and bouncy, really, really good. Uh, Champagne Problems is cool. Calls out a lot of misogyny and hip hop, and I think in a really interesting way as well. Mm-hmm. And the final track, Take It Slow, like I say, with Laura Kana, is great. And I think what he does on it elevates an already very good song to something really, really good. I think this has mad loads of potential massive potential she has absolutely yeah i mean um if this is second ep second sort of release or whatever i think yeah this is really really impressive start um no more niger men for me i think is um i think it's any's best showcase of ability on the cp i think the fact that she can move between these like really dexterous and fluid verses and then move into a more traditionally sung um kind of uh, mode and do it so well and for it not to feel uh, for it to feel so cohesive i think it's really impressive and she absolutely nails both of them i think in both the rapped verses and the sort of sung choruses post choruses and everything there is still that really cool flow and that slight intensity that underlies it all that i think really benefits it because of the subject matter you know she's talking about some um pretty big and quite often uncomfortable subjects and does it as you say with incredible eloquence um for me charge it is the is the high point of the cp i think it's really I just got that beautiful sort of string arrangement going through it and that soft guitar line with that got a more soulful um musical backing. I think it sounds great. Um yeah, Loyal Karna turning up is never gonna be a bad thing. And I think their duet works superbly. I think they make good foil for each other on one of the more tender tracks on the EP. And like it's not an in your face set of songs, you know, it's it's all fairly kind of um loose feeling and kind of slightly lackadaisical but not in terms of it doesn't feel like there's no effort being put in it's not like a mumble rap thing um i think it's really strong indeed i would say champagne problems which from what i can see was kind of the the big song from it in terms of pre-release i would say that is the 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 least good moment for me where it goes a little bit too far into the kind of woozy ambience and loses me ever so slightly but yeah for six songs in 15 minutes i think this is a lovely way to spend your time and i think any is one to definitely keep an eye on and mel was definitely mm. right that you would like this i think you yeah. probably like it a, a fair bit more than me i like it a fair amount but i think this is definitely more you than it is me yeah i think it's good i think it's very very good um like i said i'm not gonna get too kind of hyperbole on it i'm not gonna get too kind of like don't want to jump the gun. yet because no i don't jump because you know ultimately 15 minutes of, of, of music is um, is all we've got here. But this is this is good. And I think, yeah, like musically speaking, Champagne Problems, maybe not the strongest musically, but I think she sort of makes up for it with the the, the lyrics on it, which I think are really good. Uh, it, it sounds like a daft thing to say when you do have a solo artist, but so often it's not the case. I mean, it is brilliant that Ennie is absolutely the star of her own show. Like she does, you know, she makes this EP, which yeah, it kind of sounds like a redundant thing to say, but... I mean, when we listened to like the, the Marlowe album last year, I think that Solemn Brigham was absolutely the start of the show and Laurent kind of let the side down a little bit for me, whereas this is just um, absolute, absolutely nails the brief. Well done, Annie. Well done. Which, yeah, sorry, that sounds really incredibly patronising. I really, really like this. Yeah. I think well done, you. <laughs> um, no, no, but 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 seriously, like yeah. well done for making a, a very good EP. And um, yeah, so keep an eye on her. That's E double N why you may well already be familiar with her other work uh anyway that's it that's the end of the show we will see you ne- or i'll see you next week i've got andy kens coming on the show next week lovely sam stuff. um we'll see you soon i guess yeah we'll speak ma'am. to you soon we'll hear from you soon oh i travel boy oh i travel boy he's gonna make me look like a fish on the pitch <laughs> uh, <Young> fish <laughs> oh my uh, goodness steve 
I will be putting some stuff up on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash truecultpop at some point. Um, like I say, I've got to work out what that is. But you you get some things. Don't worry about it. And Sam will be back mm. another time. Take some time to fucking chill out. Do the things you've got to do. You know, there are definitely more important things in life than this podcast. Mm. I mean, that is for sure. I've got to learn the whole script to the three series of Stathlet's Flats before next time. So, yeah, so you yeah. can text me. Yeah, every uh, line. Every <laughs> single line from it, yeah. Um, all right, thanks very much for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>